This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Well, I think we have to be real with each other when we talk about what's going on with Oregon State and Washington State and what is now the Pac-2 Conference. Stanford and Cal made it official today. They are headed, along with SMU, to the ACC. The world makes no sense. We knew that, but we knew that weeks ago, didn't we? Like, weeks ago, didn't we? Weren't we aware that the Big Ten Conference suddenly had teams from the state of Washington and the state of Oregon and the Big 12 was absorbing the four corner schools and the ACC started kicking the tires on Stanford and Cal and and let's be real it didn't make sense in large part and we know that it didn't make sense because they didn't do it right away and they waited and they waited and SMU and it's deep pocketed donors they play a role in this They agreed, SMU agreed to go without a media rights distribution for nine years. They won't eat for nine years so that they can be in a Power Five conference. And I understand why they're doing it. The postseason revenue distributions in the ACC are about what SMU would get. Probably a little more than what SMU would get in the American Athletic Conference. But uh, a devastating blow, even though it was an expected blow. Oregon State's Athletic Director Scott Barnes and University President Giotti Murthy talked to media. I'm going to say they talked at media mostly as there was a Zoom call this morning, 10 a.m., and uh, they did not take questions, not verbal questions. They handpicked the questions. It isn't really a news conference when you do that, and I, and I think there's a reason why they did it that way, to be fair to them. I think they were super interested and I think they remain interested in harvesting the organs, so to speak, from the Pac-12's corpse. I think they want the NCAA tournament revenue units. I think they want the emergency fund. I think Washington State and Oregon State are being really, really careful here to not commit to the Mountain West Conference, to not commit to doing anything but, hey, we're staying in the Pac-2, the Pac-4, whatever they want to call it now, it's Pac-2, uh, you know, we'll pack whatever. Uh, I think they are really interested in harvesting those NCAA tournament units. There's like $50, $60, $70 million in units there. I think they're super interested in the emergency fund and how much money is left in that when the 10 other members now depart for other conferences. And I think they know they're going to need that money, and I think they're sitting tight going, okay, this is the best advantage and this is our best play right now. But I want to play some of the audio from today's news conference. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you if you believe that Oregon State and uh, Washington State to some extent, because we had Kirk Schultz, the president of Washington State, on the show just earlier this week. Do you believe that they feel 
that they have a fallback plan at this point? Because I kind of do. And it's it, it's born from Kirk Schultz, the Washington State president, coming on the show earlier this week saying that he had circled October 1st on the calendar. It just didn't make any sense to me. Why would you want to wait till October 1st if you were Washington State? Like, it, it's time to get urgent. It's time to get busy living. You got left behind. Put your oxygen mask on and let's go. And yet Kirk Schultz came here on this show and talked about the patience that he thought that was necessary, that they wanted to evaluate the landscape. I don't think that's it. I think they're interested in harvesting those units and having their attorneys look at the emergency fund and really turn over every rock. I also kind of wondered, did they cut a deal? Did they cut a handshake deal with the Mountain West Conference? Gloria Navarre is the Mountain West Conference commissioner, visited Pullman uh, last week. She was in Pullman. Uh, I think it was last Thursday, and she spoke with Kirk Schultz. She brought the University of New Mexico president, who was her board chair, there with her. And, you know, they got to uh, sit and talk and sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, make the pitch. And I'm told the pitch was equal parts, hey, uh, let's merge and hey, come join us. Uh, you know, and, and there's still kind of some confusion about whether it would be a merger or would it just be simply Washington State and Oregon State abandoning the ship as it finally sinks. Uh, but I kind of gathered that that conversation combined with Monday's meeting in which Gloria Navarez was on campus in Corvallis left Oregon State and Washington State thinking, OK, we've got a place to go. And tell me if you hear it as I play some of these uh, some of these clips from the news conference today. Here's Scott Barnes, who says, uh, you know, he, he here's the timeline, uh, you know, and the message he's giving to Beaver fans. Here's the athletic director at Oregon State. Although we had hoped for a better outcome here, th- this uh, this outcome certainly uh, was anticipated and. Our plans uh, relative to uh, this consideration have, have been ongoing. You know, our, our, our coaches and our student-athletes know their value, know the value of this wonderful university, and that, that's something that hasn't changed. We will continue to uh, shout from the mountaintop how great this university is, the success that our student-athletes and coaches enjoy as we move forward. You know, we're in a unique circumstance where we can't share a lot of information. Um, it's a highly complex uh, negotiations are going on, and certainly everybody wants uh, continued clarity. No, know that President Murphy, myself, and many other campus leaders continue to work on, on the right path forward. Um, obviously, uh, our market size uh, eyeballs on televisions uh, did not uh, – create the leverage needed to to be in a different circumstance. That said, know this, that we will find uh, the right place uh, for our student-athletes, the highest and best place for them to compete, as well as our coaches. Uh, know that we will be in a conference, uh, that we will be uh, continue to compete at the highest level nationally, uh, which is a, a certainly a goal of ours. So um, we will uh, continue to work forward and we're working 24-7 for our coaches, student-athletes, and Beaver Nation. All right, I hear three things in particular. And, Stephen, I want your take, too. But here's the three things that I hear from Scott Barnes. One, he, he makes this reference to the, the complexity uh, of the negotiation. And what he's talking about there is the legal complexity with the PAC-2 conference now. They would like to, they being Oregon State and Washington State, 
harvest all of those assets. They want the NCAA tournament units. It's about 60 or $70 million due over the next six years. They want the emergency fund. There may be 15 or $20 million left in that at the end of the day. Uh, they want the infrastructure of the Pac-12 networks. They want to be able to go to whoever and go, hey, we'll, we can build a network for you. Maybe somebody would, would pay for that. Um, so he, he's talking about the complexity part where they can't speak. I think he's really talking about from a legal standpoint, their attorneys have told them, hey, here are the things you can talk about, but don't broach the idea of joining any other conference. All you need to say is you need to continue to say you are the Pac-2, you are the Pac-4, whatever it is yesterday, today, tomorrow, the Pac-whatever. Uh, if it's the Pac-1, if Washington State goes somewhere, I expect Scott Barnes to be like, we're going to rebuild it because that has been a consistent refrain all along. I also hear him say in there, we're going to be in a conference. He knows that. And I, I don't know if he knows if he has a handshake deal from the Mountain West Conference. I don't know if he understands that they will always be able to find a place. Uh, but there seems to be some relative confidence from Scott Barnes that he knows they have a home. The third thing I hear is really interesting, and it's the same damn thing that Kirk Schultz, the Washington State president, said earlier this week when he joined us. He talked about, you know, when I asked him about, you know, your athletes, they want to be Power Five school you want you to they want to play at a power five school don't they and he says well that was the first glance the second glance was as we drilled down what the what the athletes were saying was they wanted the resources of a power five school and so kirk schultz made that great quote where he said hey i don't have a bag of money sitting under my desk that i can magically reach into and pull out you know 25 million dollars which is about what the shortfall is going to be if they go to another conference they're both going to be about 25 million dollars short and so what I hear Barnes saying in that clip and Kirk Schultz saying earlier this week is they're talking about their the challenge being trying to find that $25, 23000000 million that they're going to be short. Now, it may be buried in the emergency fund money I just talked about and the NCAA tournament units. It may be that they have to raise student fees. It may be that the uh, campus administration, the presidents at both schools, will have to uh, dig into the general fund and subsidize athletics. But I think... It's a really important short-term thing that Oregon State and Washington State fans should be tuned into. You want your school to continue to try to spend as if it's a Power 5 conference member, even if it's in the Mountain West or if if it's in some hybrid of some conference that has been created out of the ashes of the Pac-2. You want them to continue to spend because you're going to be spending at a higher level than your peers in those conferences. You're going to rise to the top. And what happens in the next round of expansion and chaos? In that next round of expansion and chaos, the teams that have really, uh, you know, mattered in major college football are going to be safe. The programs like Vanderbilt in Northwestern and Indiana and Rutgers and in Maryland, they might be in some trouble from a subsidization standpoint. And then the group of five schools that really rise, like the Boise States of the world or the San Diego States of the world or the Gonzagas in basketball, uh, are going to be uniquely positioned to kind of matter if football does splinter off and say, okay, we're taking 60 teams or we're taking 40 teams. You want to be positioned to be one of those teams. And so I hear Scott Barnes and Kirk Schultz both saying the same thing. Now, Jayati Murthy, the president at Oregon State, said something that I almost fell out of my chair when I heard. She said she believes that the Pac-12 is still viable, even without Stanford and Cal. Because I got to thinking, without Stanford and Cal, you know, really it would just be a merger in name, wouldn't it? Like you would just go to the Mountain West, and if they want the Pac-12 brand, they would take it. 
But here's the president at Oregon State speaking to just that. It, it is possible, um, but there's no question that it's much more complicated. The role uh, ahead is much more arduous. Um, we've been talking, OSU leaders have been convening uh, our stakeholders. Uh, we're trying to figure out the best path forward uh, while simultaneously pursuing other opportunities. So uh, preserving the Pac-12 in some form, we believe, uh, helps continue more than 100 years of sports history and tradition. So it's really important to us. So it's certainly a direction we're looking in. But of course, we're looking at uh, all the options that are open to us at this point. Yeah, all the options open, but uh, as I hear, and by the way, if you are Jyothi Murthy, you take this job, you come from UCLA to Oregon State, and, you know, your background is that, you, your background's in engineering. Your background is that, you know, she's a fantastic story. She grew up, she's like a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid who became like the youngest student and, oh, by the way, the only woman or one of the only two or three women that was in this prestigious engineering academy in in India and she rises to the top and comes to the United States and becomes this esteemed person at UCLA and when when uh, F King Alexander becomes an F King disaster at Oregon State Jayati Murthy is hand selected to be the next president at Oregon State and she says great this is going to be a wonderful opportunity I can't wait to get busy with the engineering and the student body and the and the students on campus and faculty and Oh, what's going on with the Pac-12? Like, all of a sudden now, this is her focus. She didn't sign up for this. She did not sign up for this. Uh, Kurt Schultz at Washington State did not sign up for this. And I pushed back a little bit because they both kind of talked about the market. And you heard Scott Barnes talking about the market being a problem. The small town. You're a victim of your small town. I think it's a little bit of an oversimplification. It's true. When you're in Pullman, Washington, or you're in Corvallis, Oregon, you are operating at a distinct disadvantage. It's absolutely true. If they were in Los Angeles, they would have been snapped up by the Big Ten. They would have been the first two schools gone, by the way. They were in New York City, in Dallas, in Chicago. If they were in a big market, of course they'd be more attractive. But let's not forget, Stanford was in Market 6. Stanford was in the Bay Area. Big Ten didn't chase after Stanford. It took Oregon and Washington. Now, Oregon is in a town that is not all that different than Corvallis, Eugene, Oregon, and Corvallis, like in the eyes of America, people aren't going to see a lot of differences there. But the difference between Oregon and Oregon State is simply the money that Phil Knight has invested in the brand of Oregon, the brand that has been built over the last 20 years at Oregon in particular. And that's the difference. So I think, you know, when you say you're, you know, you're a victim of the small media market, and Jyothi Murthy said it too, and I think it's one of their talking points that they really wanted to, to make, but um, you know, we're options were limited because we're in a small market is it is a good is an accurate depiction. You can sell that. But if Oregon State's football brand had been a little more evolved, not one ten win season, but let's just say it had gone back to back as conference champions like Utah did, I have no doubt that the Big Twelve conference would have been all over Oregon State. No doubt. I mean, Utah, I was at the Utah football game last night, and I'm doing the show today, broadcasting from the KSL studios in Salt Lake City. And, you know, it struck me last night at the at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Utah football, Utah was a group of five school 15 years ago. Utah football gets into the Pac-12, does it the right way, builds a winner, had been to some, uh, you know, BCS games. Of course, you know, he played Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, you know, had that, you know, had some, had some great moments. But really, Utah football put itself on the map in the last three or four years is, 
you know, Kyle Whittingham just got to the conference championship game every year, and then he won it two years in a row. Those back-to-back conference championships saved Utah from turning into Washington State and Oregon State. Utah would have been in trouble. It's media market tied to Salt Lake City, 1.1 million households. The media market tied to both Oregon and Oregon State is Portland, 1.1 million households. Why does Oregon go to the Big Ten and Oregon State is unwanted? It's Phil Knight. It's brand. It's not just the media market. I understand the frustration uh, and, of course, I've felt it myself many times. But I will tell you this. Our options are centrally tied to being in a small town uh, and not being able to deliver the audience, the TV audiences that these big media contracts require. And that's a fact of our geographic location. It is not easily changed. And so, and the same thing applies, of course, to other small schools, including uh, Washington State in Pullman. Uh, And that's a frustration I've shared. Uh, But uh, it's not easily solved, as I said. And so there aren't easy options for us to simply hop from conference to conference. Well, I would say this to that. I would say, okay, yes, your circumstance is definitely affected by the fact that you were in a small market. But the bigger circumstance was, you know, we look at the brand of Stanford football. It almost cost Stanford that Stanford picked an unfortunate time to be bad at football. And and it cost Washington State that they are no longer riding the tails of Mike Leach. It's why I think for all those years that fans were going, well, it's okay, we're just bowl eligible. Six wins is a great season. Seven wins is a really good season. Eight wins is terrific. Those seasons are okay. They're foundational. But the seasons that put you on the map nationally and make you attractive in expansion are 10-win seasons. It's conference championships. And so I think the thing that Oregon State can control, Oregon State, she's right, Oregon State can't control that it's in Corvallis. Can't control it. You're not going to add a bunch of TV households overnight. You're not going to increase the media market. You're still going to be Oregon State. But what Oregon State can do, and this is what becomes important, is it can continue to invest. It can invest big time in football. Wherever it joins, if it joins the Mountain West or if it merges with the Mountain West and becomes the Pac-12 again or the Pac-whatever again, um, Oregon State's got to continue to invest at a level that is on par with some of the schools that are playing football in the Big Ten and the Big 12. It has to matter. It has to be able to punch at that weight because if there is chaos and there is another round of expansion and more schools are included, you want to be included if you're Oregon State. Steven, how do you read all this? Yeah, it really seems like, uh, based off of their answers they had at the Zoom call today, that Oregon State Washington State are really in a lot of communication, right, to figure out what they want to do together. Because all these teams have paired up and have left the conference, and it really seems like now Oregon State Washington State has been in contact the entire time with one another, which is it is good, I think. I think it's good for Oregon State to have that partner. But it also, to, to your point as well, like, they are really playing into, well, we're in a small market. We didn't have any choice. And I don't know that I necessarily buy that as well. Like, I feel like this whole Pac-12 thing could have been avoided by being a little more proactive rather than reactive. And that's another just reactive answer of, oh, well, we, we can't do anything because of our situation. Well, or you could at least you know go out and done try to do something, at least done something and tried to do it. And it's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate that, you know, a top 20 football program is going to be left in the dust and be heading to the Mountain West or the Pac-12 Mountain West, whatever combination it is. But I do have a hard time believing also that the Pac-12 really can survive with just Washington State and Oregon State. I don't know how it does that. I, I mean, I know that they want to get those uh, those shares at the NCAA tournament, which is the most important thing, I think, at this point. 
but I don't know how it survives, John. Like how how can you how can you sell anything that it's really the Pac-12 when there's only two teams of two teams left? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I also think you know the the idea is it's more of a legal argument. It's a semantics argument than just the Pac-12's done. It's gone, right? It, Pac-12 as we knew it is over. And it's evident, like even last night in Rice Eccles Stadium, there was part of me that was a little somber because I was like, damn, like, you know, this is a little bit sad because I I just remember seeing so many situations where uh, there were great games at Rice Eccles Stadiums and those were Pac-12 games, right? Pac-12's done. They're not going to have those games, but this is the final chapter this year. And there's going to be a little bit of a sadness, I think, that that is cast over the season or weirdness at the very least. But, Stephen, I think they're talking about semantics, like an legal argument. They're just saying, like, hey, Stephen, uh, we know that it's not the Pac-12, but we're going to call it the Pac-12, and we're going to try to hold on to all those assets because there's about 60 or $70 million, and I think it goes back to my point about, you know, if you need to go find $23 million, there's a nice place to start, you know, and you're not dipping into your general fund right away. And if you can say to the Mountain West Conference, look, we'll merge with you. Let's create the Pac-12 division. You keep a Mountain West division. You give us six teams. You have eight teams. We're two eight-team divisions, 16 teams total. Conference championship between us. Um, media rights deal, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pale in comparison to what the Pac-12 even got. It'll be like a $7 million a year deal. Uh, but Oregon State and Washington State get to keep all the NCAA tournament revenue. That could get pretty interesting. And I, and I got to tell you, I kind of feel like I, I kind of feel like I'm onto something here with this because I – you know, I reached out last week to try to talk to some people at the Pac-12, and I really got serious pushback when I started poking around the semantics of, well, can you really call it the Pac-12 if it's not the Pac-12? They don't want to touch it, and it tells me it's a legal issue. So I think what they're looking for is some clarification from their lawyers that they can, with a straight face, say, hey, we're the Pac-12. We're the Pac-12, whether we are two teams or 12 teams. We're going to go and merge with somebody else, but we're going to keep all those assets. We're not giving them back to Arizona and, and Oregon and UCLA. To hell with them. They left. I think that's kind of what they're saying. Yeah, and and I think, you know, like you said, it, it it's, it's the money reason, right? And it makes a lot of sense to keep the Pac-12 name. It's just... It's just sad to me that if there's money in it, right? Like, then maybe there's not. Like, maybe a lawyer's going to tell me, "Hey, no, you can't do that." But it seems like that is the main reason why, and I get that. But now, at the same time, just looking at it from on the field or on the court, like, there's no. Oh, it's not the Pac-12. It's, it's not the Pac-12. It's and not so, a Power Five. And so it it does you know that it does hurt a little bit that that's the way it's going to be. But I understand yeah. from their reasoning, and it seems like them and Washington State are on the same page. Which again, I think that is good that they are on the same exact page with one another to try to get as much money as they can out of this <laughs> yeah. deal. They're in the same boat. Uh, you know, I want to go to the phone lines real quick. Roy's in Portland. Roy, go ahead. Hey, John. Um, I just don't understand what Washington State and Oregon State are doing. I mean, to me, this is <laughs> – I mean, what are you doing, man? I mean, it's over. I don't know. The rest of the teams don't care about all that money and all the stuff they're trying to get to Pac-12. What must be done eventually must be done immediately. You – Dragging your feet, waiting around. Go ahead and join the Mountain West. Get your schedule together for all the other teams. Yeah, that is a that's a part. That's that is a valid point. The schedule, the football schedule for the I'm, next year needs to be a thing. I, I don't know what they're waiting on. It's like they're like disappointed that they that this come to this. But I I think they're waiting know, on because, the money, Roy. Like if but put yourself in their shoes. Like they have nowhere to go but the Mountain West. And I think they know they can go there. 
And I think they're trying to figure out, can we keep all this NCAA, can we keep the 60 or 70 million on our way out the door? Because it's going to help us because we're not getting any money in the Mountain West. I don't think they'll be able to keep that, John. I just think, yeah. I, 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 I think they're just wasting their time. They need to just move. I, I know they're disappointed. I know the rest of the teams have gotten Power 5 offers and you're left out there. But I'm just thinking the longer you drag your feet on this, you're messing yourself up for next year. I mean, you have to look forward. It, it, it's a bad situation. I hate it for them. But all this trying to get the leftover money, I'm just, I'm just wondering why nobody else is concerned about that money. Why they don't, if <laughs> yeah. it's that much money, why don't the other schools care about it? Yeah, I think I the other – They would want I, that money, some of that money too, even though they are leaving. Yeah, here's how it works. So, uh, and here's how it works. I'll just real quickly get into how it works. Like if the conference actually dissolves and all 12 members go to different conferences – that 60 or 70 million, the money that was earned by Arizona when it went to the NCAA tournament, the money that was earned by Oregon, the money that was earned by UCLA when it went to the Final Four, uh, it will go. It will revert to the school that earned it instead of the conference. So I think there's some part of Oregon State and Washington State going, to hell with you. We don't really have anywhere to go. Yes, there's an emphasis. I agree with Roy. Like, put your oxygen mask on and let's get moving. But I don't blame them for turning to their attorneys first and going, hey, can we get that money? Can we keep it in the conference if we keep the conference in name? If we keep two board seats, can we keep that money? But I don't think you could take a month to do that. Like, it, can that not get done in, like, 72 hours? But I do think it is important to get, try to get that money because, you know, does Jonathan Smith really want to coach in the Mountain West? Like, if I'm him, like, I'm looking to go to a Power 5 or Power yeah. 4 or an NFL job, and that money is going to go a long way where, you know, yeah. you give him more money, give his assistants more money. I, I think it's really important to try to get that money. So I understand what they're doing, but, yeah, I'm with you as well, like, Got to get this done quick. You got to. Yeah, the it, lawyers have to move here. Yeah, it's got to be go. Got to get going. All right, we're going to go to Seattle next. Uh, my friend Jim Moore, longtime sports columnist at the Seattle PI. He's working at KJR in Seattle now. He's going to kind of capture the, the 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 mood in Washington State's mind. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about the Mariners and the Seattle sports scene. Leave it here. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I want to thank my friends at KSL Radio in Salt Lake City. They're letting me borrow their studio today. I was at Rice Eccles Stadium last night. Utah beat Florida. Sorry, Stephen. 24-11. Andy Ludwig, first play of the game. Play action pass. Florida didn't see it coming. Big, big play. We'll talk about it coming up. Uh, I'm off to the Bay Area tomorrow. I will see Oregon State and San Jose State on Sunday. Jim Moore, longtime reporter and sports columnist at the Seattle PI. A guy who has been on the radio in Seattle for as long as you can remember if you are somebody in college. He is now at KJR. He joins Jason Puckett. I join them once a week. He's coming on this show. He's got the Comcast guy at his house right now. Jim, there's so much going on. Yeah. You know what it is? Is that I've got three TVs along one wall down in the basement, and uh, we've been selling our house, and so the stager came in, and I think she screwed up some of the wiring, and I can't get two of the channels to work. And it's a college football Saturday tomorrow, and I like having all three screens uh, on some football games. So anyway, yeah, that's what's going on right now at our place. I love that. You're, so you're basically doing this. Is it true? Like this is basically so that you can uh, you can watch your football. 
Pretty much. Yeah, I just, uh, when we moved here five years ago, my wife had this idea. I've got, uh, well, at the time they were 16-year-old twins, they're 19 now, but yeah, just then, you know, they're playing video games down there, but mostly it's so that I can have three different games on at once, because I like to gamble on this stuff, Jim. I like it. Jim Moore joining us. Jim, just take the temperature here. Like, it wasn't a big surprise, Stanford Cal leave for the ACC, but it gives some finality and some direction to to the fan base at Washington State and Oregon State. What was the mood in your neck? Well, disappointment, uh, anger. Uh, It's kind of like, oh, gee, we're unwanted. Um, Yeah, just all those things, just kind of a mixture of emotions. It was kind of funny. I I, I was a little surprised. When we started our show today, I got a little emotional about it. I I just have been a Pac-12 fan ever since it was the Pac-8. And I grew up being a Husky fan, and then I went to Washington State in, in 74 when it was the Pac-8. So I've been a, a big Cougar fan ever since. And it's just, I mean, I just live and die with the Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12. And, you know, now that it's a Pac-2, and we don't really know the future for our school, what Oregon State's going to do, uh, there's so much uncertainty. And, yeah, I guess the biggest word that I can think of was just disappointment in where we are with college football these days. Yeah, the same way. It hit me last night at the stadium. I was kind of walking around before the game, and I was looking around going, you know, this is the last, one of the last times that that uh, I will probably be in Rice-Eccles Stadium. I'll probably go back later in the year when Oregon plays there, but a lot of good memories, a lot of great games there, and I thought this is going to be a Big 12 stadium next season. Like, you know, this is the last year for it. There's kind of that finality that's going to, I think, going to cast a little bit of a shadow over the season. Well, I think so. In fact, um, I know the guy I work with, he, he wants to go down to the Rose Bowl because uh, Washington State plays at UCLA uh, this season, and it's going to be our last game there. And so, I mean, a lot of memories there. We had, you know, we made it to two Rose Bowls back in 97 and 03, I think it was. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you've got all this stuff. And I had to laugh at myself last night too, John, because I'm, I'm one of those guys that, I don't really care about the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12. I'm just, like I said, I'm a Pac-12 guy, and I was I was watching the Southern Utah and ASU on the Pac-12 network, and I know the Pac-12 network has taken a lot of crap from people over the years, but I love it, man. I mean, I just I, – and I was disappointed with the sandstorm and the delay of the game and everything. They couldn't <laughs> help that, but, but I'll watch Southern Utah and ASU. I know ASU is not going to be good this year, but I just, I, I just love the Pac-12, and I'm going to – I'm going to miss having those uh, Pac-12 games after dark. It looks to me like they're probably going to end up in something called the Pac-whatever, but it'll look a lot like the Mountain West, and they're going to try to harvest all those resources that are still buried in the Pac-12. I think that's why they're going to take some time with it. But, um, you know, how is that going to fly at Washington State? Even if they're funded well and they're funded at a disadvantage to the other Mountain West schools, Will will that move the needle for the Cougar fan if they if they're playing San Diego State and they're playing UNLV or Colorado State instead of USC and UCLA? Well, initial reaction, I would say no. Um, that's part of the disappointment is that we're we're not going to be in a Power Five anymore. And you know, I, I've been thinking about this. So I I just you know that whole AAC possibility. I'm glad the commissioner shut the door on that today. I didn't like the idea of doing that. I like the geographical bond that we all had in the Pac-12. And with the Mountain West, at least it's still in the West. And I think in time we'll, we'll get fired up for some of these games, but it's going to take a while. I mean, this isn't like 
USC coming in with Sam Darnold on a Friday night, and we ended up winning that game. It was just a, a huge marquee primetime game. Uh, we're, we're not going to have as many of those, but, boy, in my dream scenario, John, I just sit there and I think, okay, Cooks Beeves, go to the Mountain West. And then when they open it up to 12 teams in the college football playoff, if the Cougs were somehow to win the Mountain West and then be involved in the 12-team playoff, and then if you had the little added icing on it, the cherry on top, if, if Washington and Oregon and all these schools that took off weren't a part of that, that'd be awesome. I, I'm, I'm, I'm bitter. I, I am. I'm bitter. I'm, I'm going to root against all these teams that defected, and I don't care. I'm 66 years old. I haven't grown up yet, but it just <laughs> irritates the hell. It irritates the hell out of me, man. I'm going to be rooting against all these teams that, that left. I mean, it is bailed. It's just money, money, money. Think of yourselves. It's just it irritates me. And, and then they're like, hey, well, Jim, you know, if Washington State, you know, you would have gone to the Big 12 if you got the offer or the Big 10. You know, they probably would have, but. I don't know, John. The whole thing just bugs the hell out of me. The the whole the money grab that everybody and like, oh, we don't want to be left. Oh, geez, you know. Well, gee, count Stanford. I mean, they're going to the ACC. That's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I saw Wilner was writing about it. The closest stadium is in Louisville, twenty three hundred miles away. So anyway, I know it's the way of the world, and I know I'm old, and I need to get up with you know get on board with it. But I I don't want to get on board with it. You don't have to. Jim Moore with us, KJR in Seattle, uh, formerly of the Seattle PI, longtime sports columnist. Uh, can I ask you a question? I, we got a mutual friend who tells me that you have an amazing story about Gary Payton's pants. About Gary Payton's? The Gary Payton pants story. Well, the story I have about Gary Payton was where I almost got in a fight with him. Do you want to hear that one? Yeah, that's the, that okay. One maybe that's quick. the story. Maybe that's the story. Okay. Yeah. I, well, I think that's what it is. You know. Well, you know how you you, you deal with athletes over time, and and you know, as a reporter, you got to go in there. And I covered the Sonics back in the '90s, and so you know, Gary was always okay to deal with. You know, he'd put up with me and put up with us. You know, the other reporters, and I think it was the '94 playoffs. And um, he, the, the Sonics lost. It looked like they were going to lose in the first round again. But somebody had told me that the night before he had gone, or the night after, I can't remember what it was, but he had to go to the hospital. And he, got, he had to be treated there at the hospital, and he had to get IV fluids. And the story was going to be, you know, geez, the Sonics lost, but the glove, your point guard, was out there. He gave it his all to a point where he had to go to the hospital to take, and it was going to be a positive story. And so I went up to the locker the next, they were in Sacramento, I, I think, getting ready for game three. And I wanted to write about that. And I, I had a good source. And so I asked him about it, and he said, that ain't got nothing to do with basketball. And I said, well, well, yeah, it does. You know, you were, you were out there, you gave it your all, you had to go to the hospital. It's a great story, Gary. I'd like to write it. And he goes, that ain't got nothing to do with basketball. And so, John, I made one more shot at it. I said, well, Gary, I think this would be a really good story. You know, what, what do you think? Could I get a few comments from you about it? That ain't got nothing to do with basketball. And so after, you know, three or four or five years dealing with Gary Payton and walking away and saying, okay, Gary, thanks for your time, I just had enough. I just had enough, man. And I just looked at him and I said, you know what, Gary, I'm just so sick of your bleep. And, and he just, he got up. He's sitting at his locker, and he got up, and he got in my face. And at the time, I think I was in my uh, mid to late 30s. And, you know, I mean, he's – I'm not going to fight Gary Payton. He'd probably beat the hell out of me. But he got in my face, and I just 
he goes, so what are you going to do about it? And, and he was like a couple inches away from my face, and I thought, well, geez, Jim, I, what, think quick. What are you going to say? <laughs> I, couldn't think of any, I couldn't think of anything to say, but I didn't want to put my tail between my legs and say, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to say anything, Gary, and walk out of the locker room. And so it just I, I noticed he had just brushed his teeth, and I said, hey, Gary, you got a little toothpaste in the corner of your mouth. And I pointed at the corner of his mouth, and, oh, my God, then he, he took a swing at me, and I think it was Sam Perkins or it might have been David Wingate stopped him mid-swing, and then the next thing I know, George Carl's bear-hugging me as if I'm going to go after Gary Payton and get in a fight. And maybe that's the story. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I'll take it. That's a good one. It's that, a doozy. That, yeah. that Steven, you like the it. story? Oh, that was great, yeah. Anytime it's Gary Payton <laughs> swinging on people, I'm down with that. I love it. No, it was, and, and you know, I saw Gary years later, and you know, we worked things out. When he went to the Lakers, I went down there and did a story on him, and so you know, I mean, we mended fences and everything. But I mean, John, you've had that before, haven't you? Yeah. Where I mean, the athletes get sick of you asking questions, and then you think about the readers and and how you don't want to softball questions all, that. and that was actually a good story, but I never was able to write it. There you go. You should tell him. Hey, Gary, guess what? I think it's a good story. I'm going to write it now. Uh, we're talking to Jim Moore in Seattle. All right, before I before I cut you loose, the, the Mariners, they're such a good story. Have they captured the city? Are, are people swept up into it? Oh, they have. They have. You know what? I've been here a long time. I grew up here, um, and I was 19 uh, years old when they came to town in 77. And this, this reminds me of the 2001 season. And the 95 season when they got hot at the end of the year. But 2001, they were hot all year. They won 116 games. They had 40,000 people there on a Tuesday night for the A's this week. Now, part of that was, John, I'm not into this stuff, and I don't know if you are, but part of it was it was Julio Rodriguez Funko Pop night. I, I mean, they look like these little bobbleheads, but they're Funko Pops, and I guess I should know what they are. But they were lined up to go get the Funko Pops. But part, So part of it was that. But they had 30,000 on a Wednesday afternoon to see him against the A's. They had 35,000 Monday night against the A's. So the opponent doesn't matter. Everyone's caught up in Mariner fever. And being the only team to never make the World Series, this might be the year. And I think it. You know, last year was a lot of fun to see him get into the playoffs and rattle around a little bit. This year I think people are really hoping for something. And uh, Jim Moore? I appreciate you joining us. I love your passion, your authenticity. I hope you get your TV fixed in time for the kickoffs. Okay. Uh, great. Thanks for having me, John. I always appreciate you coming on our show on Tuesdays. Of course. Every time. Jim Moore. There he is. KJR in Seattle. Gary Payton. I think it's a good story, Gary. <laughs> it's not a story. Leave it here. Our big splash is next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I got into it with uh, Gary Payton once. NBA Finals. Remember when the Dallas Mavericks were uh, playing the uh, Miami Heat in the uh, in the NBA Finals? Um, it was uh, you know it was a big deal for uh, for Gary Payton. He was with the Miami Heat at the time, and. Um, I went and covered that finals, and Oregon State, ironically, Oregon State now in a predicament. Oregon State was in a predicament back then, but the 2011 NBA finals, um, Bob DeCarolis, who was the athletic director at Oregon State, had asked me. I said, He said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to cover the NBA finals. He said, ask Gary about the donation. And I said, what donation? And he says, well, when we went to build our practice facility, 
we reached out to Gary and he said, I'll give you $5 million to put towards the, the practice facility. I'm good for it. And so Oregon State kind of, you know, when you're building a project like that, of course you get commitments from some people and, you know, there's a bank involved. And of course, you know, there could be potential financing on your own campus. And, you know, so there's a lot of paperwork. But when it comes to a donation pledge from somebody like Gary Payton, you kind of just take the pledge and then you have one of your fundraisers or somebody who knows his people reach out and kind of facilitate the the donation that is supposed to happen. Well, I guess Gary never did it. And um, Bob DeCareless told, told me that he ran into Gary Payton at a, uh, at a basketball game, an NBA game. It was a Blazers game. And he said he brought it up to Gary in the tunnel as Gary was passing by him and said hello to him. And Gary kind of said, I'm good for it, and ran by, and then never, you know, the check never shows up. So DeCarlis says, could you ask Gary Payton about that donation? And I kind of think, like, I don't know this for a fact, but I kind of think Bob DeCarlis wanted me to ask, so it wasn't the school asking one more time. Kind of like with Jim Moore going, Gary, it's I think this is a really good story. And Gary going, that's not a story. Well, I think... You know, Oregon State didn't want to ask him for like a third or fourth time. Like, where's the where's the money, Gary? Like, you know, it was like Matt Damon uh, asking uh, on, on Entourage for where where's Vince? Where's the check? You know, you remember that episode? And you know, Vince was had made a pledge to the to the uh, nonprofit organization that Matt Damon was involved in that was going to result in you know a big million dollar check or something that was supposed to come. And Matt Damon got in the big standoff. I think it's one of the one of the uh, better episodes. One of the episodes I I, re- I really remember and enjoy, but um, you know Matt Damon was all kinds of fired up about it on the show, but in real life this stuff happens because Gary Payton hadn't made good on his donation, and so in the end, what was uh, supposed to be happening was Payton was supposed to write this check. So I get over to the NBA Finals and it's an off day. I wouldn't dare do it like on a on a regular day. And uh, I tell the Miami Heat PR person, I said, I need to talk to Gary one-on-one. Can I get him one-on-one? And they were really reluctant to do it. They are asking me a lot of questions, like, what do you want to talk to him about? What and I said, well, I'm from Oregon, and it's you know I'm just going to ask him a couple of questions that you're not going to want me to be asking him on the podium, like when he gets up uh, for the news conference. You don't, you know, he, He's not going to be one to ask, like, Gary, why haven't you given money to, to uh, Oregon State? And, uh, you know, and so they finally did provide Gary Payton. And I remember the never forget the exchange. I just, we, we made some small talk. And then I said, hey, by the way, whatever happened with that donation that you were supposed to give to Oregon State? And he says, oh, I'm good for it. And I said, but did you make the donation? He said, I told you I'm good for it. And he started to get all fired up about it. And then for a minute there, I was hoping we could get Matt Damon to, to ask for the check. Vince, this is Matt Damon. Listen, I just had a really disturbing phone call with the foundation. It's been a week. I'm in Haiti at the moment. I understand your check has not come. It has not come, Vince. Don't you f- push me, Vince. Don't push me. Send the check. You do what's right, Vince. You gave me your word. You gave LeBron your word. Let me tell you something, man. I, I, I never even thought you were a f- good actor. I thought you were terrible. Every, everything I... Aquaman, Queens Boulevard, they stink. They f- stink. I can't even believe that you have money to give to a foundation, but the fact is that you do, and you gave me your word that you would. So give me the suck, Vince! I can't believe I have a Academy Award, and I'm calling you back!
again and again and again, you Send me the check! I mean, so you don't want to do that. <laughs> but Peyton got, you know, got mad about it. He didn't threaten to punch me. I didn't have to be separated, but he was irritated, and he did not want me to be asking him about where's the check. Now, I think he eventually did make good on the donation. I did not get a finder's fee on that. I don't know how they got it from him, but I asked years later, did Gary Payton ever contribute? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, Gary Gary made good on it. So he did make good on it, which is, uh, which is terrific. It brings us to our big splash. What is the one thing you need to know today? This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, the big news, of course, the ACC made it official, invited SMU, Stanford, and Cal to be members, effective July 1st, 2024. Stuart Mandel of The Athletic reporting that the revenue distribution for Stanford and Cal will be a 30% share of the media distributions in the first seven years. Then they go to 70% year eight, 75% year nine, up to 100% in year 10 and beyond. Uh, They will get full shares of the ACC Network, the NCAA Tournament Units, and the College Football Playoff payouts. Uh, As for the Mustangs, they will forego TV revenue for nine years. Um, The money that is being withheld from Stanford and Cal is expected to create a pot of revenue between $50 and $60 million. Some of the revenue will be divided up proportionally among the 14 full-time members in Notre Dame. Another portion is going to go into a pool designated for a success initiative that rewards the programs that win. Now, the school that flipped was North Carolina State. Flipped from a no to a yes. Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina all maintained their no votes. Uh, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips said it best. Quote, you either get busy or get left behind. End quote. There it is. Coming up. All right, we got great guests ahead here. We're going to talk to Angie Machado, who is... Uh, covers Oregon State Athletics. She'll be joining us on the other side of the break. John Wilner, we'll do, we're going to go through our picks for the weekend. We'll talk about the Utah game, what we learned from it, what we expect from Oregon, Oregon State. Is there an upset lurking somewhere in the Pac-12? We'll talk about it with John Wilner coming up at 424. Steven's got the 5 at 5. we got Punch It Audio still ahead as well. A lot to talk about in this Friday. And I, again, I am live from Salt Lake City. I am in the studios of KSL Radio. Thank you to KSL for letting me crash in their studios, giant studio, and letting me uh, do this show from the road. All right. Hour number two is ahead. Leave it right here. BFFT. Now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, our next guest uh, covers Oregon State. Uh, Angie Machado does a fantastic job. She's been on that beat for years. Did a great job last season covering a 10-win season and the subsequent uh, wins, I guess, in the recruiting offseason. DJ Uyunglele coming to town. A lot of excitement about Oregon State as they will head to a uh, big-time game against San Jose State. I say big-time because it's a really important game. I want to punch up Angie Machado. Can you punch her up for me, Stephen? Angie, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. You first of all, let's start with the football game. How like yeah. how how into this game? How excited by this game are you? I you know super excited. I I've, I've talked to several people who 
you know, kind of thought it's weird Oregon State opening on the road against San Jose State, but I think Oregon State's going to be way more focused on a game like this as opposed to maybe opening with a, a Portland State or a, a UC Davis, which they have next week. Um, you know, big opponent, lots of coaches, you know, with, with highs at San Jose State to Oregon State. So uh, we find to see some good faces, some familiar faces there. And, um, you know, they have some film after watching the uh, Spartans take on USC last week. Give me an idea because DJ wins the starting job. Did you see that coming all the way? Did you think at some point maybe Aiden Childs had a shot or was it DJ's job to lose all the way in your mind? I, I think it was his his job to lose, but I, I think what Aiden did was really, you know, open some eyeballs. And, you know, I said all along that Aiden would be QB2. I, I know Jonathan hasn't really put that as an or situation with Ben Branson, but um, Beaver fans should be excited for, for the Aiden Childs. But, you know, I think DJ just brings such a, a veteran poise, leadership, knows how to run a program. And uh, she's got just great size, too. I mean, you see that guy, and he's going to give Oregon State some you know, different looks on the offense as far as being able to run, pass, um, that run game. Oregon State's going to be a very multidimensional offense this season. All right, so they get this game Sunday. Uh, my friend John Wilner thinks it's a trap game. I don't agree with that. I think, you know, no, they, how could that be a trap game? It's week one. You know, of the college football season, Oregon State's got a chip on its shoulder from all this this nonsense that's gone on with realignment. But uh, do you think there's any risk that San Jose State, having played a game at home, does it create a dicey situation? I think the first half could maybe be a little squirrely, just, you know, Oregon State trying to get their legs under them, you know, the whole game speed. But I, I don't see this being a trap game at all. Um, I, I think Oregon State wins. But I, I do think the first half could be a little closer than, than some Beaver fans may want it to be. Angie Machado with us. Beaver Blitz is the website she runs, owns, and operates. It's a 24-7 site. Angie, give me an idea. The reaction today, Stanford and Cal are out. We we talked to Jim Moore in Seattle about the Washington State side of things. What did you think of Oregon State today, their performance, and kind of where they ended up? I, I guess it's not surprising. Um, we've kind of been seeing the writing on the wall here for a while, Um just with what's going on. I, I, I do think Cal and Stanford basically sold their soul. I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a good fit. I don't think it's a, it makes much sense um, from a lot of different perspectives, but um, they must have not seen any, you know, viability to stick with it. Um, I, I just think, I mean, like Cal, what, what is Cal like getting like 30% for seven years? This thing's going to be blown up again in three. Um, so I, I think, and I, and I think where it's going is, SEC and Big Ten want to obviously have some super conference. That's going to leave the Big 12, ACC. I think they're trying to scramble to get anybody they can because they'll be poached soon enough. I, I still don't see it being um, maybe the wisest thing for the Big 12 not to take Oregon State and Washington State, but obviously none of this has made sense. So, um, I mean, if you're looking at it from a making sense standpoint, I could see the Big Ten taking Oregon State and Washington State, Cal and Stanford, and novel idea you know have a, a west and a east division and have the champions play in the, the rose bowl but none of this makes sense john so um oregon state's looking for something give me an idea of what you think the move is it, it, because i keep looking at you know what moves do they have available and uh, you know it's a, it's like you know they're not great decisions but is the move a merger with the mountain west is it is it uh you know a rebuild taking some mountain west and creating a division um, you know, what's your feeling based on people you're talking with and what the right move is for Oregon State? Well, I, I asked the question today on the on the press conference, and it never got asked, but 
I hope Oregon State and Washington State have lawyered up because I honestly think there potentially could be some, some litigation there. I think Apple definitely has a case as far as collusion by ESPN and Fox to maybe keep Apple out of, of the Pac-12 or out of, out of the college football market. I hope that's happening behind the scenes. Um, a Mountain West merger, a Mountain West, anything, anything you slice and dice with a Mountain West is going to be a death penalty for Oregon State and Washington State. Um, as far as what we know now, there's no way that they're going to be able to uh, sustain the coaching staffs, the, the recruiting budgets um, to, to make that viable. I mean, what's, what's Mountain West, like in the 5 to $8 million a year range? That barely covers the football coaching salaries. Um, they, if I'm them, I'm trying anything I can to somehow get an invite to the Big 12. I think that's really, I think it's a long shot, but I think it's the only true case that Oregon State could remain somewhat viable and, and try to, you know, eke in a 15 to 20 million a year type of payday. But um, it, it appears that that's going to happen. Although we say that, and I mean, this has changed 57 times in the past three weeks. So that would be, I think, best case scenario. Um, because any kind of litigation is going to drag on for years. But um, no, I, I don't see a huge windfall coming. I don't see, um, you know, Oregon State, Washington State really landing anywhere but potentially merging. And I, I say merging, you have to keep that Pac-12 name for what it brings to the table as far as, you know, potential auto bids. You know, there's some talk, could Oregon State and Washington State have enough money to maybe go independent for a couple years? Maybe. Um, but who are you going to play? I mean, who, how do you schedule that and how does that look? Um, but, you know, Scott Barnes has had ample time here to uh, to figure some things out. Hopefully there's more going on than that what, we, what we're hearing about. Give me an idea that, that Zoom today, because they didn't allow questions. And my sense was they were nervous and being told by lawyers, we don't want to answer questions that would potentially open you up, uh, you know, to some legal things that they're trying to plot with when it comes to uh, the Pac-12. But how weird was that to submit a question in writing and then hope they pick your question? And whose questions were they picking? I, yeah, I don't know. And they were just kind of, they were total softball questions. I mean, I asked like four. Um, you know, I wanted to know if they're still talking with the Big 12. Um, I wanted to know if Oliver Luck is still in the equation trying to help them find a landing spot. And, yeah, I mean, have they retained legal counsel? I didn't think that was a, you know, it's not giving too much away. It's pretty much yes or no question. Um, and the questions they or ask came from, I think, media members that are not following this at all or just total softball questions. So um, I, I, it's a tough spot, right? I mean, on Beaver Blitz and the Lodge, there's been a lot of question, or, you know, discussion about that was kind of – it was lame. And, I mean, it's the best way to say it. Like, why did they even do it? But if they don't come out and say anything, then it's why aren't they talking? So, I mean, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Um, but for those of us who have been following this, it really gave us nothing – um, except this trying to be a positive spin. And I get it. You know, you're trying not to spook recruits. But the longer this plays out, the, the worse it is for both Oregon State and Washington State, their 2024 recruiting classes. Um, you don't want it to be a, a distraction for the 2024 team or 2023 team. I mean, because by all intents and purposes, this team this year could be a really special year. And you, you want those guys to be focused on the here and now. But you know they're getting calls. They're getting. They're. They have to be fielding calls from other programs trying to recruit some of these guys away. Is the bigger risk in your mind the recruiting hit, or is it? Does Jonathan Smith stick around if they're in the Mountain West? You know, 
I, I don't see how we can. I mean, just I mean, he's going to be having overtures, the whole coaching staff. And, you know, Jonathan's great in what he does, but he wouldn't be where he is without, you know, Coach Mahalachek, Coach Bray, um, you know, the coaches that he's been able to attract in that consistency. So how does he keep the strength coach? How does he keep when you might be bringing in as, as a school, a program, four to, four to five million dollars a year um, in TV revenue? I, yeah. I just don't see how. And then, and then your, your best, you know, Oregon State has got, they're not getting the four- and five-star guys. They, they get a four-star four every once in a while, but they've done really well building with a upper-level three-star guy. Those guys aren't going to necessarily choose Oregon State if they're playing in a lesser division. It's, you know, there's just not, you know, Oregon State has had a claw and scratch for a long time. They kind of feel like they've got to this point where they're there, and now the rug's been pulled out from them. And and I don't want to put the blame on Scott Barnes or, or you know, the powers that be, but I mean, this has been a long time coming. And this is this can go back to the presidents who, you know, for years they were hanging their hats on this whole academic prestige, you know, Stanford, Cal, USC, um, and kind of having this opinion of themselves. I mean, USC blocked BYU and, and some of these other programs that, you know, to be honest, Pac-12 should have expanded several years ago, taken some of these more, you know, a BYU has a built-in audience, would have done a lot to kind of shore things up. And instead it was we can't align with any religious institution. We can't align with anyone who's not a, you know, a tier one research institution. And here we are today. Angie Machado, Beaver Blitz. This season could be special. You hit it. Stadium's opening. West Side's going to be open. Team that could win it uh, or or go to Vegas and get to the conference championship game. Will this hang over the season in your mind? Because people are always going, but what is, what's the future? How long will Aiden be here? How long will Jonathan be here? Or is there anything that could be done that would erase that? I think the sooner the better that they find a home. Of course, you don't want to just jump and say, okay, we're joining the Mountain West. We're going independent if there's still a shot out there. And what, what stinks about the whole thing is the conferences aren't even making the decision. It's all being done by TV execs. So, um, you know, there's little say, and that can change on a whim. I, I think when you look at it, fans are going to have a lot of questions. I think the kids do, the student-athletes do. But honestly, you know, Jonathan Smith, you can say a lot of things about him, but he's so even keel. And I think in a situation like this, it will help this team because he'll be able to kind of keep them um, – He's not super emotional, so he he will be able to keep them focused. It it could be a big year for for the Beavs. So, um, you know, I think they do have a us against the world mentality right now, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna go out. Like I said, I think Jonathan Smith is probably the best possible scenario for this team right now to keep them focused on you know the game at hand. What do you expect week one game one from DJ? I you know I think he's gonna be solid. I. I think he's he's really settled down a little bit from what we saw in the spring where we, you know, one day we'd see him overthrow guys, the next day we'd see him underthrow, but he spent all summer working with, with the uh, receivers. I think he's he's got it nailed now. What we saw in camp um, during the scrimmages, he won the scrimmages by a long shot. So um, I, think, I think fans will be excited because this is not going to be a, a Damian Martinez show. You're going to see a little more, you're going to see more passing, and you're going to see DJ run the ball more too. So... Um, it, it's going to be a way more wide-open offense and not just a you know run-the-ball kind of thing. I'm excited to see that because I think they got a they got kind of a 
a knock on them, although I think it, it was impressive what they did, mostly running the ball last year. They got the knock on them as, hey, you're one-dimensional, you can't take the step to the next level. If DJ can make some of those plays, they become really interesting, and, and then you know we can nitpick the wide receivers or something else. Um, is there a concern anywhere on this team for you? Yeah, you know, secondary, I think, is a question, just because they lost such veteran leaders with Alex Austin and, and Jaden Grant, you know, moving on. I, I, I love Jaden Grant, and it felt like he was there for, like, 25 years. You know, he's just <laughs> such a, a stalwart back there and, and such a good leader. But Katano Ladapo is, is a leader. Jaden Robinson, I, I think those guys might take, you know, a game or two. They, they might take their hits. But where I, you know, I have beat the drum for probably 10 years that Oregon State's D-line has been a – a big question mark, and, and for the first time in a long, long time, the D-line is going to be the strength of the defense, and so that's exciting. You know, James Rawls looks really good. True freshman Thomas Collins looks good. Um, yeah, I think, I think you know, Drew Chatfield is going to, you know, get to the quarterback a little more. That was, you know, a knock the past couple of years is is the pass rush, and I think I think it's going to look better, but I, I do think, you know, that strength in the D-line is really going to help kind of with that secondary get their legs under them for those first couple games. and um, But that would be, you know, that and probably the kicking game. I mean, there's some question marks there. But, um, you know, I think the rest of the offense is good, offensive line. And Oregon State doesn't have the luxury that some schools do as far as depth. I mean, this this is a team I have going to Vegas to play USC in the Pac-12 championship game. And a lot has to go their way, but um, I think they can do it. It's funny. I picked that same matchup. I, I, I just you? think – Yeah, I did because – I like their schedule. Just I just look at the schedule. Yeah, yeah. We look at the schedule. I just and, I, I, and they I have Utah at home. Yep. Washington at home. UCLA at home. Because I lined I'm, up. I'm still not sold on Oregon. Yeah, I lined up Oregon, Washington, Utah, Oregon State, and I said, okay, if UFC is going to, they're going to get there. If who else gets there? And it, to yeah. me, it came down to Oregon and Oregon State, and I thought. These are the two teams that I think have the clearest path. I can't see Washington getting through November cleanly. I think Utah, even though you know I'm in Utah today, I shouldn't say that. I'm in the, I'm in the KSL studios. They'll probably come rushing in and kick me out. But it, Utah's got two. They play everybody, and they have to go on the road yeah. to Oregon State. They're just they're it's too it's dicey for them. They're at USC. It's there's too many hiccups. And so just by virtue of the schedule, I said, all right, I'll take Oregon State USC. So yeah, uh, that was me too. I mean, just looking at schedules, I I had the same group, you know, the Washington, Utah, Oregon, Oregon State in that mix, and yeah, schedule alone, I'm like, okay, well, I, I think having those home games and and Utah early, Utah early in the season, although it's good last night, I'm not sold on Florida. I mean, obviously Oregon State crushed them last year at the last end of the season, so um, Utah will be tough, but I like playing them right out the gate. Students will be back in you know Friday night. Research going to be rowdy. Angie Machado, Beaver Blitz, check her out there. I will see you in San Jose State's, uh, used to be Spartan Stadium, whatever they're calling it now. Angie, I'll see you in the press box. Sounds good. Thanks, John. All right, good stuff uh, from Angie Machado on Oregon State's predicament, their plight. Uh, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I was, you know, I obviously was in Rice-Eccles Stadium last night. It was a, By the way, it was a... Standing room only crowd. They sold 2,200 standing room only tickets. It's remarkable to me what Utah's done. And I know, Stephen, you were rooting against them because you were rooting with your bets. And you shouldn't be because that was an SEC team. But were you a little bit surprised by how inept the Gators looked?
I was, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not the biggest Graham Mertz guy, but I had I had faith in Billy Napier, uh, their head coach, and they looked lost. And it came right at the get-go. You know, Bryson Barnes' first play of the game for Utah play action, deep pass, touchdown. I mean, you, Florida was caught off guard with that. And then Florida offensively, I mean, you know, go back to just when they were in their heyday and how they're slinging the ball around. They're getting point like. They were not throwing the ball down the field at all. It was little screen passes, little dump offs. I believe I saw a stat that Graham Mertz, you know, he threw for a career high in yards. He also had 12 passes that were screen passes or like little dump offs behind the line of scrimmage. So it's not like he's throwing the ball down the field. It was everything else. So, yeah, I was surprised a little bit at Florida and how bad they looked in week one. And I think going forward for them, that's that's not a good look. But, you know, you got to give credit to Utah as well. Uh, That environment, like you said, John, even on TV, it played really well. So I can't even imagine what it was like down there at the actual stadium. But it played well on TV. And uh, those Utes, man, that defense looks stout once again. And I'm excited to see what they do when Cam Rising comes back. I do wonder now, now that they got this win over Florida, they're 1-0. Is it put a little more pressure to have Cam Rising play against Baylor and try to continue that winning streak heading into the Pac-12 and maybe think, hey, college football playoff could be uh, on the, on the uh, horizon? It, it puts all kinds of pressure on Utah the week two, but it's good pressure. Like if they lose to Florida, they don't have the pressure. But if they if they can beat Baylor, they are sitting in a position where they can start thinking about, hey, if we do what we think we can do in the conference schedule, I'm not saying they're going to do it, but they might think this. They are in a in a position where they can start talking about, hey, this lines up as a playoff possibility because. Beating Baylor at Baylor would be a solid win. It'd be, I think, as good or it'd be a better win than Oregon winning at Texas Tech. But you'd beat an SEC team. By the way, SEC team on the road going west of Texas, not faring well. That's what happens. That's why the SEC teams don't go on the road. I'm not saying that's going to happen if Alabama goes and plays Oregon State or Washington State. Don't at me. But it's just interesting to me to see Florida look so bad in the Vegas Bowl. And then, you know, they line, They have two number threes on the field at one point, a lot of procedural penalties, false starts, offsides. They were jumping around. They lined up wrong, illegal motion. It's all the stuff Dan Landing was talking about. Like he said uh, uh, last week on the show, he said, I said, what are you looking for in this Portland State game? And he says, I don't want any penalties that are not between the whistles. And Florida was you know, flags all over the place, between, you know, outside of the whistles. And, and that's mental mistakes, and that's coaching. It goes back to coaching for me. You know, it was 7-3 to three in the second quarter. Florida got the stop, forced a punt on Utah, and they got the procedural penalty. And then Utah goes down Nate Johnson, who, man, he, he is a fast guy there, John. You, you made mention <laughs> of that, but he zoomed into the end zone, uh, took advantage of that first down that they got on the penalty, and it was 14-3, and it was over at that point. Like, Florida, they'd kind of calmed down the storm, and, you know, getting the ball back, had a chance to take the lead or at least cut it to one, get that penalty, then uh, real quick touchdown by Utah. And it's those things, like you said, it's mental stuff, but that's uh, that goes on coaching. And so, yeah, I mean, I think for Oregon, you look at Dan Lane, and he's, he's 100% right on that. And I think that's what you got to look for week one when you're playing, you know, these, uh, not cupcakes, but when you're playing these games you're supposed to win. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. We're going to go through the Pac-12 games. We're going to look for upsets. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Well, I took a step into the final Pac-12 football season last night at Rice-Eccles Stadium, but I wrote about some of the cool things that I've seen in that stadium over the years, including uh, 2014, Kalen Clay, the Utah wide receiver. You remember he had what what would have been a touchdown that would have given Utah a two-score lead that he dropped the ball and started celebrating before he got to the end zone. Oregon's Joe Walker picked it up, scooped it up, went 100 yards the other way for a touchdown, and Oregon reeled off 24 unanswered points and won the game. Uh, Great memory there. I touched on some other memories that include Oregon, Oregon State, and Utah in particular. Uh, You can read it at johnconzano.com. My co-host on Conzano and Wilner, the podcast, John Wilner, is joining us now. We're going to break down some of the Pac-12 games. We're going to talk about the Stanford-Cal thing, Washington State, Oregon State, what they do next, all that business. Uh, Wilner, how you doing, man? I'm good. Are you broadcasting like high over Southern Nevada here? I am in uh, KSL Studios. Ah, good for you. Salt okay, Lake City. Say hello to the guys at KSL for me. I will do that. I will do that. They're big fans of you. Uh, hey, let me ask you, Utah last night, were you surprised at how good Utah looked with about eight players who weren't starters starting? Uh, I got to be totally honest here. Uh, I didn't see most of the game. <laughs> I had my uh, kids back to school night. And, oh, that's uh, good. She's a junior. It's a huge year for her. I chose the back to school night, so I got I got home. I taped the game, and I got home planning to watch it. And I chucked the score. And at that point, it was twenty four to eleven. And uh, so obviously Utah looked good, and Florida must have looked bad on offense. Uh, and I was going to plan on watching it today, but. I kind of got derailed today by some news. Yeah, let's. All right, let's unpack that news. It wasn't Don't exactly. Sorry, I can't, yeah, I can't. Give no, you a it's okay. Down there on Utah, unfortunately. It, it wasn't exactly a surprise that Stanford, Cal, and SMU go to the ACC. But you know, what is your? I guess your singular takeaway when you uh, when you look at Stanford and the travel they're going to have to make, and you know what has happened to college athletics. Give me your your one takeaway uh, as you look at what happened today. Well, it's just a symptom of the bigger aspect of the college sports world spinning off its axis, especially out here on the West Coast, right? And you'll wonder if if at some point in the next 10 or 15 years it's going to spin back onto its axis or if this is the the way it's going to be for for a long time. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to have USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. It made a little bit more sense to have them in the Big Ten with Oregon and Washington. And it makes zero sense that Cal and Stanford are in the ACC, right? I mean, it's just it's it's bananas, and it is the main result of of the Pac-12 not being able to, you know, get its business done. Uh, but it's it's just it's just bananas, and you wonder if if things are going to revert eventually, not only in the Pac-12 but but elsewhere around the country, or if we're going to continue down this path, and in ten or fifteen years there's really going to be a separation between the top 30 or 40 and everybody else in college football. And, and if they do a separation of the 30 and 40, what kinds of things do the schools in the next five to seven years all need to be thinking about? I mean, I think you got to be thinking about the playoff. The playoff is going to define, it's going to be a huge financial boon and it's going to define success. It's going to define the brands, I mean, obviously we know Ohio State and Alabama are big brands, 
but there's going to be a chance for other schools to get on that main stage fairly consistently. I mean, Utah is a great example, right? If Utah goes in the Big 12 and they get in the playoff, you know, every couple of years, that will elevate Utah's football program, Utah's athletic department. And then if there is separation in the 2030s, maybe Utah gets into that top group, right? So that's, that's kind of what I'm going to be looking at. I think it's all about the playoff and doing whatever you can do resource-wise to position yourself to get in there. John Wilner with us, San Jose Mercury News. Uh, you know, you're worried about Oregon State going to San Jose State on Sunday. Why are you so worried I about am. them? I just think teams that have already played, especially if they have played a good opponent, like San Jose State played USC, are, you know, advanced compared to a team that's playing its season opener because you're going to have mistakes in your season opener, especially if you've got a new quarterback like Oregon State. And so San Jose State's going to be, I just think, a little bit more efficient, uh, execute a little better. And, I don't, you know, not that I don't think Oregon State can win, but I think it's going to be a tight game. And if the Beavers are a little sloppy, I think they are in serious jeopardy of, of, of an upset. And that's the main reason. If this were the first game for both teams, I would, I would think Oregon State would have, a, you know, an easier time, a, a better chance to win. It's the competitive balance skews a little bit when you have a team that's already played. Oregon State and Washington State in the last week have kind of pumped the brakes on the timeline. Oregon State did a little mini, I don't want to call it a news conference. It was more of a, we're going to talk at you. We don't want your questions really in real time uh, news conference. But, um, you know, they are trying to basically harvest the organs of the Pac-12 cadaver. So... How long should that take, you know, and what do you, is it worth doing that? You know, some of the listeners early in the show just sort of said they need to move on just from a perception standpoint. I push back against that because there could be real money there, but Wilner, what are those assets? Nobody knows quite yet. I mean, there's certainly going to be 60, 70 million in NCAA tournament units available. Uh, I think they should, look, there's no rush. I don't think, because the process of getting into the Mountain West will will not take time, or some kind of merger won't take that much time. And the Mountain West doesn't have a TV deal that's coming up uh, until 2026. So if I'm Oregon State and Washington State, you know, I certainly need to move. I, I can't take my sweet old time and go for months, but I could take a few more weeks for sure because I want to know exactly what's in those in the Pac-12, and the Mountain West schools should want to know that as well because it might be more valuable for everybody to basically do a reverse merger. And all the schools that are in the Mountain West house, they leave that house and they walk into the Pac-12 house because the Pac-12 house could have could be a more valuable property. Uh, now, we don't know exactly what the assets are, and I think it's – I just wonder why it's taken so long. Uh, and it makes, me, it makes me think that the Pac-12, uh, you know, financially – uh, you know, it's a, maybe a little bit sloppy. I know that would come as a huge surprise to you, uh, <laughs> but I just—it just doesn't seem to me like it should take this long to figure out exactly what kind of assets and liabilities they have. I want to pepper you with a couple of Pac-12 games that are coming up tomorrow, in particular, and you know, get to the get to I guess the bottom of uh, who you're picking. And I know we gave our picks on Kanzano and Wilner the podcast, but you reserve the right. 
after further thought to change your mind. Stanford, uh, by the way, tonight at Hawaii, 8 o'clock on CBS. Troy Taylor, first-year Stanford coach. Uh, Stanford's favored by 3.5. What do you like? I like Stanford, especially at 3.5. I don't think Hawaii's any good, and I think Troy Taylor's going to do a very good job with Stanford, and they're going to be more competitive than people think. They just don't have a ton of talent, so their ceiling is kind of low. But I think this is going to be a really good performance by them, all things considered. Colorado at TCU, 9 a.m. Saturday morning. That's like must-watch TV. Uh, TCU is 20-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Who do you got? Yeah, I, it'll be real interesting to see how the Deion Sanders experiment starts. Right, He's got all those new guys, 60-something new guys. You don't know what their depth is going to be like. You don't know how good they're going to be on the line of scrimmage. Uh, but that's a lot of points. And I'm a big proponent of the backdoor cover when there's a line of 20 or more, right? So <laughs> TCU, maybe TCU's up like, you know, 37 to 10 or something. And Colorado gets a meaningless late touchdown and cover, something like that. So I, I kind of like the buffs and the points with the backdoor cover. I got TCU 42-17, but uh, that is a lot of points. Uh, I'm going to skip Portland State at Oregon because I think we all sort of expect Oregon's going to run away. How many how many points does Oregon score in that game? I got them at 56. Uh, I think it's I'd be more curious how many score points do they score with Bo Nix in the game, <laughs> and I think there's a good chance of that being 56. <laughs> okay, you got it. Boise State 12:30 Saturday on ABC. Boise State's at Washington. Big game. Washington's a 14-point favorite, 13-and-a-half, 14 some places. What do you see? I see two really good offenses, two veteran quarterbacks, uh, two defenses that uh, have a lot to prove. Uh, I think this could be the best game of the day. And uh, it's it's hard to believe that, that Boise State would contain Michael Penix and that U, UW offense for four quarters. I think it's going to be pretty high scoring, uh, and and you know Washington kind of pulls ahead at the end, but that's got the potential to be you know a very very good game. I'm I'm looking at that game and going you know two offenses, Michael Penix Jr. But I kind of think that's a game where we could learn a little something about Washington, right? Like because some of these games I don't know we're going to learn anything, but I'm looking at that one going you know we might learn something if Washington comes out and shows a little bit of a run game or shows some defense. Uh, to go with Michael Penix Jr., then all of a sudden we go, okay, uh, let's bounce ahead. Washington State's at Colorado State, 4 o'clock CBS Sports Network on Saturday. Washington State's an 11-point favorite on the road. What do you see? I just don't like the Cougars on the road, given that many points. That is the, it is the first time since the Mike Leach era, so it was like middle of the 2019 season, that they have been a double-digit road favorite. I just don't. I'm not sure that they're good enough offensively to cover that kind of number on the road in a first game. Again, you feel like there's going to be some mistakes. Uh, I, I like Colorado State and those points. If it was, you know, seven or eight, I might feel differently. But, but boy, that's a, that's a lot for, for the Cougars in that situation. A lot of points there. Uh, finally, let me give you this one. Coastal Carolina. At UCLA, 7.30 Saturday, ESPN. This is, uh, UCLA's a 14.5-point favorite. 
Uh, Ethan Garber's at quarterback. Let me just ask you this, because I don't want to ask you the score or the spread, but what do you think, what do you want to see? What do you want to learn, especially at the quarterback position with UCLA? Well, I'll be interested to see how Chip Kelly uses his three quarterbacks, right? especially how much is Dante Moore, the five-star freshman, going to play? Uh, and how much, uh, you know, is he going to play when the game is competitive? So that, to me, is going to be real interesting. Garber's comfort level. Uh, I'm also curious, you know, they lost Zach Charbonnet, who's best tailback in the, in the conference. What's their run game look like? I think Chip will, Chip will diagram them to uh, a fairly comfortable win. But you're right. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be very interesting to watch. And certainly UCLA's defense was not good last year. Is that unit improved at all? They played, was it South Alabama last year early in the season and like when that game 32-31 or something like that. So that's not a bad point of comparison for, for uh, Coastal Carolina tomorrow. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. Catch him on Gonzano and Wilner, the podcast. I wish you uh, the best. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll catch up with you later. Thanks, my friend. All right, there he goes, John Wilner. He says a little bit of a trap game on Sunday for Oregon State at San Jose State. I don't think so. I asked Jonathan Smith about it. He didn't sound like he was concerned about it being a trap game. But I get what Wilner's saying. You know, biggest improvement for most teams comes from week one to week two. You go on the road, weird things happen in week one. But uh, DJ Uyunglele at quarterback, is that uh, is that something that makes you feel good about Oregon State in that situation, given that he's been on the big stage, or would you rather have him at home against a cupcake? We will see what happens. Leave it here. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, Stephen, I want to uh, I want to pepper through these Pac-12 games. I want to get your picks because we did this uh, kind of as a, a thing last year. We had a lot of fun with it and. It gives us a chance to kind of see where your head is, where my head is. We'll typically do it on a Thursday. Today we're doing it on a Friday, but uh, let's do this. Are you ready? Are you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do this. All right, Stanford is at Hawaii tonight, 8 o'clock kickoff uh, on CBS. Troy Taylor uh, in his debut game at Stanford. Stanford's favored by three and a half. How do you see Stanford Hawaii? Yeah, I think Stanford uh, is too, it's too little of a number for Stanford. That that number started out at about nine and a half, ten in the summertime, and it's gone down to three and a half. I actually just looked on uh, on one account that I have. It was at two and a half, so I took Stanford. Wow. It's it's getting lower and lower, but I, you know, I'm with Willard on this one. I think Hawaii is getting a little too much credit for keeping it somewhat close against Vanderbilt week one, and then we're all overlooking Troy Taylor. I think Troy Taylor is a great higher by Stanford. So I don't think they're going to be great this season, but I think they'll be competitive in some games, and I think they can uh, go down to Hawaii and win this game. The the one the thing that's lingering, and I think driving this line close, is the whole, oh, Hawaii played a game. Also, Hawaii's the home team, and Stanford woke up at, uh, you know, 8 o'clock this morning and found out, you know, the players were informed as they were waking up. They're off to the ACC. I don't think that that's going to be a distraction. I don't have a great feel for this game. 
But I do. I'm agree in agreement with you. I think Stanford covers the three and a half. I think. Uh, I think the more of the distraction would be Hawaii playing in Vanderbilt and Tennessee flying to Hawaii and then yeah. playing on a short week. I think that's more of a distraction than you know Stanford going to ACC. We are going to disagree on this next one. Colorado is at TCU. You and I just don't see Colorado the same way. We we just don't. You uh, you like Coach Prime. I like Coach Prime. You love his team. I don't love his team. Uh, the spread is TCU 20 and a half. I won't get too far into my pick because I already said I like TCU 42-17. I think they covered the 20 and a half, but I think Fox is the big winner because everybody tunes in to watch it. I'm fully willing to admit that this game could be over in the first quarter. Like, that's how bad it could be, but I don't think it's going to be. I think Colorado keeps this game close. I'm going to take 20 and a half points. I don't want to say that I think Colorado can win the game outright because I, I just I think that's a little too far. But yeah. you know, I agree with what the stuff, stuff the stuff you, you hear from like Joel Klatt, how their skill guys are good. I think Colorado is going to be able to score some points with Shadur Sanders and those wide receivers that they got. They got some good offensive weapons defensively. I think that's where they just, they're going to struggle. They're going to give up points, but I think they can score on a lot of teams. And I don't think TCU's defense is going to be as good as it was a season ago. So I think uh, 20 and a half points is too much. I'll take Colorado plus the points. I'm, I think Colorado Colorado might get five or seven sacks. That's I'm looking at that. But, uh, <laughs> that let's see. Portland State's at Oregon. There is no line posted on this game. But Bruce Barnum, he, he came on and said he might have the fastest team in FCS football. Dan Lanning might have the fastest team in FBS football. I think Oregon wins handily. I have it 56-14, Oregon over Portland State. Yeah, I would take uh, probably Oregon minus you know, 35, 40 points. And you heard Barnum on the program even say, like, you know, if we're down by four touchdowns, it's going to kind of pull the plug. So I, I think, you know, if you go backups to backups, Oregon, Portland State, you're just definitely going to go Oregon, and the, the score will be run up a little bit more. So I, I think Oregon's going to dominate this game. Boise State going to Washington, 1230 Saturday, ABC. I think this could be fun. Michael Penix Jr., the only quarterback in major college football to have 10 passing games of 300 yards last season. That's why he got onto my Heisman ballot. But Boise State's coming off a 10-win season. That said, I looked at the 10-win season. They didn't play a single top 25 opponent in getting to 10 wins. Washington's a 14-point favorite. They're at home. I think they're going to cover. I have Washington 38, Boise State 20. I agree with you. I think Washington uh, wins this game by a lot and wins by a landslide. I'm not sold on Boise State's ability to you know, keep up with Washington. And I know Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr. are going to be putting up points and points. And Andy Avalos, you know, they went undefeated last year at the Mountain West. But it's like you said, the competition wasn't quite there. I'm not sure what he is as a coach quite yet, former Duck D.C., so... Um, I think Washington is the best team in the Pac-12 right now. I think going into the season, that would be my pick to win the Pac-12. Would be Washington, even with that schedule. So I think they get off uh, to the season with a big bang here. Cal at North Texas, 1 p.m. Saturday, ESPNU. Cal is a Power 5 member right now, and they are playing a group of five school, and they're going on the road to do it, like like uh, Oregon State is going to San Jose State. Uh, Sam Jackson, the fifth TCU transfer will be the quarterback for Cal. I'm excited to see him. They've got Jay Knott back. They've got Jeremiah Hunter, their leading receiver back. Cal is a six and a half point favorite. I actually think they're going to win and they're going to cover. I have it 31 17 over North Texas. I've gone back and forth so many times with this game. I think, I think my official pick is going to be North Texas plus the points. I think Cal still wins, but I think North Texas keeps it really close. Um, I do like Sam Jackson. You're right. You know, I watch some. I watch a lot of their stream, spring game, and the guy's a real deal. You know, he's running around making plays with his feet, but he can also throw the football as well. 
And you heard uh, Wilcox on Pac-12 Media Day. He said they're going to throw the ball down the field. They're going to be aggressive. I need to see that before I believe that. Uh, so I-, I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for Cal, but I think Cal gets the win. But give me North Texas plus the points at home. Nevada goes to USC. 3.30 Saturday, Pac-12 Networks. USC, by the way, 14-0 and against Mountain West teams all time. USC, I thought the offense looked good in Week 0, looked so-so on defense. But USC's playing at home. They've got a game under their belt. And Nevada is on a 10-game losing skid that goes back to last year. USC is minus 38 points. I think USC covers that. I think it's like 55-7. I agree with you. I think this is a uh, real beatdown. Nevada, not a very good team. Not much. Uh, not many good really prospects of that team. And I think you're right. USC, they can put they can they can put whatever number they want to on the board against Nevada. Whatever Caleb Williams wants to score, he can do it. So in those type of situations, I'm with you. I think it's you know in the 50s uh, for USC, and I can't imagine Nevada scoring many points. Last year, I I won almost 58 percent of my games against the spread. I lost two or three times where I took teams and points to cover against USC. It took me a while to get to, to believe in USC, and I regretted it. So I'm not going to make that mistake this season. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet on USC. I'm going to lay the points. Washington State is at Colorado State, 4 p.m. Saturday, CBS Sports Network. Um, by the way, I, I found an interesting stat on Washington State. Cam Ward was sacked 46 times last season. It was most in the Pac-12. Some of those were offensive line problems. But he held the ball too long. He's got a new offensive coordinator in Ben Arbuckle. I'm interested to see how that works. Um, you know, questions I have for this game is Washington State ticked about being left behind. Will it use that as motivation? And will 5,000 feet of altitude play a factor in this game? I, I watched Oregon State go to Colorado State one, one year in an opener with Gary Anderson and just get shocked by the altitude and guys were throwing up. But Colorado State's lost eight of their last nine against the Pac-12 Spread is Washington State by 11. I think Washington State covers it. I think it's a little too much on the road there at Colorado State. Mike Norvell, former Nevada coach, I think he's a good coach. They brought a lot of guys over for last season, and they returned their quarterback, who's you know was a pretty big recruit when he was at Nevada. He transferred to Colorado State with uh, with the head coach there. I, I like what Colorado State's been building there. I think it's uh, I think Washington State gets the win, but I think it's within the ten and a half. So I'll take Colorado State. Northern Arizona's at Arizona, seven o'clock, Pac-12 Networks on Saturday. Arizona's got 75% of its offensive snaps back. We talked about that earlier in the week. Um, you know, Cal's transfer quarterback, uh, Kai Milner, is now the starter at Northern Arizona. But I like this game for Arizona. There's no line. I think Arizona wins handily. It's 49-14 in my book. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a big uniform guy either, but I did see a sneak peek of what Northern Arizona is going to wear as their helmets, and they were pretty good looking. But I'll still go Arizona in the game. <laughs> Chip Kelly coming off his best season at UCLA. The Bruins are at home against Coastal Carolina Saturday, 7.30 on ESPN. Chip's got a good team. Questions are at quarterback, but he's got depth there with Ethan Garbers and Dante Moore in particular. Um, I I think uh, you got a first time first year head coach at Coastal Carolina. Um, I just uh, I don't see it for Coastal Carolina. UCLA is a fourteen and a half point favorite. I think UCLA puts about forty on them. They got it forty one twenty one. Yeah, new new coach at Coastal Carolina. Their coach that had been there got their team up to a you know, higher level. He's gone. He's now at Liberty. Um, they got Grayson McCall back, who's been there forever at Coastal Carolina, but I'm with you. I, I think UCLA out-talents them a lot, and I believe in Chip Kelly and Dante Moore and that group of uh, quarterbacks that they got. Give me UCLA minus the points. Oregon State, San Jose State, 12:30 Sunday, CBS. Uh, we've talked about it being a potential trap game. 
Uh, Oregon State is a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. I think it's too much. I think they win the game, but I have them winning by 10. I have it Oregon State 34, San Jose State 24. Yeah, I think Oregon State wins, but I think San Jose State covers the number. I'm with Wilner. I don't know that San Jose State can win this game, but the offense that we've seen at San Jose State, I have questions Oregon State defensively. And in the defensive backfield, Andrew Machado said it. That's the question they have are those defensive backs. San Jose State, they can throw the ball a little bit with Cordero. I think they can score some points and keep it close, but Oregon State wins, San Jose State covers. All right, coming up, the 5-at-5. Five five. Steven's going to pour through the big, biggest stories in sports. I give my picks every week at johnconzano.com, and I – provide what my analysis of where those are going. I got, you know, 58% win percentage against the spread last year. See if you can beat me. I got people this week who have already jumped into the comment section and said, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm 2-0. I'm 2-0 already. So lightning in a bottle. All right, the 5 at 5 is coming up, plus Punch It Audio. I am live from Salt Lake City on my way to the Bay Area to see Oregon State and San Jose State. College football week one underway. Leave it right here. B-F-F-T. Now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Well, it's a good show. I appreciate you being here for it. I love the listeners of the show. You're like family. I meet you. I meet you when I travel. I meet you in the airport. I meet you at the grocery store, or the gym, or the stadium. Always good to meet the listeners. I got a lot of people email me, say, hey, listen to you on the way home. This is when I'm listening. I always love those conversations. Because I'm here for the whole three hours. Steven's here for the whole three hours. Anna pops in and out, you know. But some listeners leave it, just put the show on and leave it on. And maybe this is what you're doing during your day. But I have other people who are very specific. Like Charles, who works as the checker in the Safeway grocery store that, that I go into. He'll tell me, you know, I'm listening from this time. I'm listening from 3.20 to 3.37. Nick Aliotti, the former Oregon defensive coordinator. He will tell me, I catch you. He always says that. I catch you. I catch you from like 4.45 to about 5.24. So Aliotti's probably listening. It's, it's when you're in your routine, right? I'm part of your routine is what you're saying. Makes me feel good. I love being part of your routine. Keep it that way. And look, if you listen to all three hours, I love you for it. But if you only if you only tell me, hey, I only have 13 minutes, that's when I'm in the car. Or I have a workout at lunch and it's like a 25-minute thing and I listen to your podcast. Whatever you have for me, I'm not complaining. Everybody's busy complaining. People are whining. All the Karens are out there. Anna and I and the kids, we were, we were over at the Oregon coast um, over last weekend, and we were in Newport. And there was this store in Newport run by this um, very unique and eccentric woman who has apparently had it with people. And, and if you've been to Newport, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. You go into this store. And it's got it's the kind of store that you see it in every beach town. You know, they've got wind chimes and they've got, you know, knickknacks and, you know, yard signs. And they've got, you can buy socks in there. You, it's kind of got everything, okay? It's kind of one of those stores. It's got a lot of treasures in there. But when you walk into the door to this store, 
there was a sign, a giant sign in the doorway that says, you know how you have OSHA? It's been so many days since we had a workplace incident. She has a sign, this lady who runs the store, that says, it's been this many days since we had a Karen in here. And the sign when I walked in had one day. <laughs> so don't be a Karen. And my nine-year-old said, what's a Karen? And I said, I feel bad for people who are named Karen. So I went into a long explanation about how, you know, a Karen is usually a uh, uh, a woman who is uh, being very difficult or it could be a guy. I don't know. Do we call him a Chad if it's a guy? I yeah. don't know. I don't know that there's an official name, but they, Chad sounds yeah. like a good one. Can a guy be a Karen? I, I think a guy can be a Karen. Could be. But the, the lady in the store had kind of gone too far. So once I walked beyond that sign, there was another sign. I'm just going to look at my phone because I snapped pictures of these signs and I did it very carefully because I was afraid she was going to get mad at me and she was going to classify me as a Karen and kick me out of the store. But I'm going to read the signs that I took pictures of, okay? Here's sign number one. Do not yank the metal cap off. These are not designed to come off. Purchase is required if you do. Next sign. Do not pick up the art poles. The stand will fall out and puncture your foot. Next sign. Please do not lift up the art poles. The contents can fall on your foot. <laughs> Another sign. Super bad karma if you steal. I would not like it. If I catch you stealing, we will fully prosecute. Next sign. Again. The art poles have metal stands. They can fall on you. Next sign. Do not thrash my stuffed animal displays. Put the items back neatly. It helps me out a lot. And do not allow your kid to slobber all over them and put them in your mouth. Purchase is required if you allow this behavior. Next sign. Trust me when I tell you that it is a really bad idea to steal here. Next sign. Please do not open the cello bag on any product. There are samples of every product for you to look at. If you open taped or bagged items, purchase will be required. Next sign. Do not spin the tree. It will break. <laughs> Next sign. Do not touch the helmet. If you do, purchase is required. Next sign. Please do not pull the lights off the display. Next sign. Don't take items off the wall. I may have them in back stock. Just ask. Next sign. Please, if you are incapable of replacing socks correctly, do not take them off the rack. Next sign. Please, wait. Do not climb over or under this rope. I told Anna when we walked out, Stephen, I said, you know what the name of that store should be? No. Yeah, just don't. <laughs> just no. And I was really nervous that the lady was going to catch me taking the pictures and then put up a sign saying, no taking pictures of my signs. It, she had had it. She had had it with people, and she was in a uh, customer service relationship, and uh, she was not happy. a happy human being. <laughs> just. Yeah, it's too bad that she just, you know, that in that role, it's like I just dislike people that much. Hopefully she could find some uh, some happiness with people at some point. I, and I thought, at first I thought, I looked at Anna and I was like, do you see the signs? The signs were all like bright and big, like everywhere. Like the signs were dominating the store. And it really just kind of looked to me like this person has had it with people. And <laughs> she's not having it. Don't mess with her. And so... I was taking the pictures. I was being really discreet, just snap, and then I would kind of move around, look around, snap, and move around, look around. And I was like, she's going to catch me, and I'm going to catch hell here. She's going to kick me out of her store for taking pictures of the signs. But, yeah, it's true. That's uh, that's what uh, we encountered. So I'm happy you're here. 
you're you're free to slobber over the stuffed animals on this radio show. You're free to take the poles and pick them up. They fall on your foot, you live with it. You no, know? Per- no purchase required. No purchase required. Just have at it. You know, get elbow deep in everything about this show. Happy that you're here. All right, Steven's got the five at five. Let's do it. The five at five. Steven's number one story. All right, well, kind of know what it is already. We talked about it already, but Stanford and Cal and SMU. They'll be heading to the ACC as they, the president's re-voted in the ACC, and NC State flipped their vote to a yes to accept all three of those new schools. Uh, of course, that leaves Oregon State Washington State as the only Pac-2 schools. Now, as Stanford, Cal, SMU will be joining the ACC in 2024. Man, John, Pac-12 uh, seems to be really going away. Yeah, it's evident that it's, you know, the Pac-12 became the pac Four became the Pac-2. If the Pac-12 survives this, and I mean that with air quotes, it's it survives in name only. It survives with Washington State and Oregon State just going, look, we're going to legally keep the assets, and we really are going to the Mountain West. And, you know, the Mountain West teams may, as John Wilner said, they may look at that vehicle and go, hey, that's a nicer house. That's a nicer car. Let's move in there. Let's use that one. But I think you're going to look around. You're going to see Oregon State and Washington State, Washington State, Playing the likes of San Diego State, UNLV, Colorado State. And the bright side is you win that group of five conference and you have a puncher's chance to be a playoff team. Now it depends who do you play in your non-conference schedule. Keep an eye on that because it doesn't close the door for these teams participating in the playoff. But the concern becomes what does Jonathan Smith do? And what do these recruits do? Number two story. Well, speaking of that, one of the options was thought was the AAC, the American, but the American commissioner, Mike Oresco, he had put out a statement that said they have known that today's move by SMU was a possibility and has allowed them enough time to investigate a number of options, including consideration of a larger group of institutions in the Pacific time zone. But they have concluded, however, the best way to proceed is to not look westward. Instead, they plan to focus on any expansion efforts on schools that will allow for sensible and sustainable competition and student-athlete well-being within the strong geographic footprint that they have. And we look forward to continued success as the leading FBS conference. That is from the American Commissioner. So one of those options that we thought maybe Oregon State and Washington could go to the American Conference out the window now as they seem to not want to move westward. It's interesting to me because this felt like a little bit of a smokescreen. Because why announce it as you're announcing SMU's leaving and Stanford and Cal are going to the ACC? Like, it didn't feel to me like that was the time for the ACC or the AAC, sorry, the American Athletic Conference teams to go, hey, we're not going to take anybody in the Pacific Northwest uh, while we're on the subject of Stanford and Cal going to the ACC. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, I reached out to an ACC a AC sport source who told me that the 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 athlete well-being thing is accurate that ultimately they felt it was a bridge too far i still don't buy it i still kind of wonder if aresco and the american let's just call it that the american i wonder if their angle was they were only interested if if stanford and cal were part of the deal kind of wonder about that it, it kind of seems like that john because i mean Stanford and Cal were, I mean, that's a, it's a big get, right? I mean, I, I, I think we are, just because they were so bad at football so far with Stanford the last couple of years, Stanford's a big get to get in your conference. And now you got the a, ACC getting 18 teams just like the Big Ten. I, I think the American was holding out hope they could get all four of them as a group rather than just the two. 
Moving on, number three story. All right, number three, John, we head to the NFL. The Chiefs are the Super Bowl champions, but their best defensive player, Chris Jones, he is not with the team right now, so he's looking for a bigger contract. He said he's willing to hold out till week eight, which is the longest you can hold out before we come back to the team. But Travis Kelsey, the star tight end, he is pleading for Chris Jones to come back and compete for another Super Bowl with the squad. On his podcast with his brother, Jason Kelsey, he said, Chris, can you please come back? I just, you really scared me, man. I don't know it. I, you must know something I don't know because I just don't get it. I really want to get another Super Bowl ring with you, brother. This is bargaining. This is me bargaining you to just come back and play football for the Chiefs. Please, we need you. We need you bad. And I don't know what the situation is. And quote, um, I feel like this is kind of a weird thing that Travis Kelsey's doing that he's putting out his, uh, his teammates, you know, money business out there just saying, hey, please come back. We need you. Yeah, we get that. But you also want to get the guy as much money as he possibly can. Chris Jones, one of the best defensive players in the NFL. I don't know. It seems like a weird, weird little plea that Travis Kelsey's doing on his podcast. Yeah, it's strange that he's, he's you know, that's the mountain he's climbing up on. That's the issue that he's going to you know, address. Most of the time you'll see players who say, I don't want to get involved in that other person's money business because you don't have an understanding of it. But, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe Kelsey's just thinks that there's a bit of different issue, that the guy just really wants to be wanted. But I, I still think he's, he's, Venturing into dangerous territory. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's just doing it for some content, but I mean, I, I feel like you need to get out of people's money money business. Like that's not that's not your spot, especially for a guy like Chris Jones, who's one of the best players in the NFL. Like, you can't just be pleading for him to come back and take a pay cut. No, get get your money, man. Number four story. Number four, Major League Baseball. Now they changed their their pitch clock rules this year, and it seems like it's been pretty good uh, as it's trimmed down the average game time by nearly 25 minutes this season. Games are lasting on average okay. two hours, 39 minutes. Now, Major League Baseball has decided to keep those pitch clock rules for the postseason as players had expressed interest in adding time to the clock, but they will not do that. The clock does mandate pitchers throw the ball within 15 seconds of receiving it when there's no one on base and then 20 seconds with runners on base. Like I said, two hours, 39 minutes. That's the average time of a baseball game this year. Last year's playoff game average time, three hours, 32 minutes. So just almost an hour more. So the pitch clock rules will go into the postseason. All right. I want to point something out. I was largely uncomfortable with the pitch clock. And I didn't like that it was becoming such a story in spring training in the early part of the season. I'm willing and big enough to admit I was wrong about this. I think the pitch clock has helped. The players have adapted. Last Friday night, there were 4,319 pitches thrown across the major leagues. It was the first time on a day with a full slate of 15 games that there were no pitch clock violations. So the players, it took them all this time, but Friday night, they got it. No pitch clock violations, first time, full slate. Meanwhile, attendance is up 9%. Game time's down to two hours, 39 minutes. This is a success. Do you, do you, I didn't see this one coming. Do you think there's going to be any, I'm trying to think of the word, but just any downfall to it being in the postseason where every pitch matters and there's so much on the line now that we're going to shorten it down, you got to pitch it really quickly. I'll take the other side of it because I just think the players, like just what I said, like last Friday, the players proved they adjusted. So now why would you say, hey, go adjust again? I think you want, the players, you want the best play, you want the best players, you want the postseason to be a reflection of the regular season. I don't like changing any rules. I don't like, you know, I don't like if they came and said, okay, now 
we're going with uh, no DHs. You know, like it just it, let the regular season dictate or mirror the postseason. I'm okay with this. Number five. More Major League Baseball is Ronald Acuna. He is the favorite to win the National League MVP. But, John, he had a grand slam last night, his 30th home run of the season. This is a fun little stat for you. He became the first player in Major League history with 30 home runs and 60 stolen bases in one season. The only other guys that did 30 and 50, 30 homers, 50 steals, was Barry Bonds and Eric Davis. So Acuna Mm -hmm. in a class of his own. But the good part about it was that feat that he had of the grand slam came just Hours after Acuna tied the knot with his longtime girlfriend. The couple met four years ago, got engaged in January. They have two sons, a two-year-old named Ronald Daniel and an 11-month-old named Jamal. But Maria, Maria Laborde was her name, is is Ronald Acuna's wife. She's Venezuelan, and her visa was going to expire at the end of the week, which would have forced her to leave the United States and not be able to return for three months. And Acuna said he could not have that happen as he needed his kids and his wife by his side for the playoff run. So they pushed the wedding up, got married on a whim, basically. Then that, you know, later on the next night, hits his 30th home run to set Major League Baseball history. Just a fun little story there. Good things happening for him. Good things all around him. Not accidental. Glad nobody jumped out of the stands and tried to hug him after he hit his home run. (laughs) That is the five at five. Good stuff there. Uh, Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner. I want to play this clip. Here's what he had to say about, you know, Stanford, Cal, SMU to the ACC. Listen, this is a monumental moment for the ACC. Um, Life has changed dramatically over the last 24 months. Conferences aren't regionally based anymore. Conferences are national in breadth and scope, size, brands, markets, and the rest. And we've been thinking about this for 24 months or so, guys. And at the end of the day, This was an opportunity to do two things. One is bring three tremendous institutions into a great league. Second is to tie it to the success initiative plan where we're gonna reward schools that invest and perform at a high level in the sport of football and and in basketball. And um, as Eddie said at the end, it's also protection. It just is. When you look at the now gonna be power four conferences next year, we'll have 18 schools. The Big Ten will have 18 schools. The SEC and the Big 12 will have 16 schools. And so, listen, I, I, I believe in the grant of rights, and I believe in the contracts that people have signed through 36. Um, so I, I think that's a motivator in itself. But if not, there's protection. Look, uh, you have Florida State and Clemson really unhappy in particular. There is some thought that the ACC is adding teams to avoid a Pac-12-like situation, whereas you know the Pac-12 had it added some teams, had it lost Oregon and Washington, USC, UCLA, and you know if it had added four teams or five or six teams back when there was an opportunity to grab some teams from the Big 12, it wouldn't have ended up in such a precarious position. But because it was a conference of 12 that went to a conference of 10, it got really dicey. So there's strength in numbers, and there's also a pot of money here. And I don't like that Phillips just, you know, he's he's basically talking around it. And I think he's a good guy, and I think he's a smart guy, and he's, he's one of those holdover commissioners who's got experience on campuses. But the truth is, the ACC didn't add Stanford and Cal and SMU because it likes its academic brands. It added them because it helps keep Florida State and Clemson happy. It brings some new money into the conference. SMU doesn't take a media rights distribution for nine years. 
because Boss Hogg and the uh, the boosters at SMU can can subsidize that program. And, and in fact, SMU's boosters are subsidizing Cal and Stanford too. Like everybody's coming in and the boosters at SMU are paying for it. And the athletes are not going to have great home games. They're going to travel all over the country. It's going to be really hard on them. But Jim Phillips is right. Like this is the name of the game in college football right now. It doesn't have to be. It shouldn't be. But it is. It's the game that everybody's playing, and the SEC and the Big Ten are playing it too, even though they're now kind of sitting back going, you know, we're above the fray. I guess my question would be, John, it, it, you know, because Florida State and Clemson have expressed, you know, wanting to maybe maybe leave the conference. If they did leave and they went to the SEC or something like that, now that the ACC has Stanford and Cal and SMU, would they still be considered Power 5 or Power 4 at this point? I think they would. It, it, and I think it. that's why the number thing matters, and that's why it's probably important to get those schools in now versus get them in when everyone's going, are they still a Power Five? Because if you can establish SMU as a Power Five conference member over a couple of years before that happens, it's not as a big of a deal. Keep in mind, the Big 12 did it. You know, They added you know schools like Houston and TCU and went in Central Florida, and then you know those were group of five schools that became Power Five schools. So there's a precedent. They added four group of five schools, and, and including BYU, and then now they look like you know, hey, those are bona fide Power Five schools, and they will be thought of that way. So I think there's a little, it's a semantics game, but also some strategy at play. All right, punch it audio is coming up. We're gonna hear from Kenny Dillingham. We're gonna hear. Uh, Bryson Barnes in that 70-yard touchdown pass. Plus, uh, the Lions general manager is speaking out. He's throwing down the gauntlet. I'll play his audio. You'll hear from the president at Oregon State and the AD at Oregon State and a whole bunch more. You got the bald-faced truth on this great Friday. Football is here. Week one. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. I think week one of this college football season is a little complicated for the Pac-12 in particular. And I sort of look at, you know, when I made the metaphor in writing today that when you find a book that you love, you know, and maybe it's a book series that you love, you can, as you are progressing towards the end of it, you can savor it a little bit. You can linger on the pages. You can even go back and read a chapter again if you really liked it. But you can you can kind of slow the roll. College football season's not like that. Pac-12 is going to have its final season as the Pac-12 as we know it. You can't treat it like it's a book. You can't linger. The season's it's more like an ice cream cone. It's you know if you look at it too long, it starts to melt. You know you end up uh, with drips of ice cream all over the pavement around you. Like you gotta just kind of consume it and that's kind of one of the sobering things that i find at play here in this final pac-12 season you want to read more of that you can get it at johnconzano.com let's play some punch it we interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the bald face truth headquarters Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with the Lions general manager, Brad Holmes. He's very confident in the Detroit Lions. 
You don't hear this out of Detroit often. Punch it. Uh, very high. Um, I, I do think that we've, uh, let's call it, uh, took our medicine in the past couple of years. Um, you know, me and Dan talk about it all the time. We've, we've coached the senior bowl. We've, you know, had to do hard knocks. We've, we, we, we've done all that. We've gone through a, a lot of darkness to get to this point, but that's where the grit comes in place in terms of just, uh, not really wavering and put your head down or get discouraged. There it is, the Detroit Lions uh, creeping towards the season with some high hopes. That's not normal. You don't normally hear that. Is it kind of weird that they're opening up the NFL season against the Chiefs? Like, you put the Lions out there? See what they do. See if they embarrass themselves, trip all over themselves. It just seems like a big jump from not making the playoffs to, hey, you're 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 national TV Chiefs. You're in it. Speaking of big jump, Kenny Dillingham went from being the coordinator at Oregon to being the head coach at Arizona State. He won his first game last night. 24-21, Arizona State beats Southern Utah. Kenny Dillingham was asked, hey, what's the difference between uh, being a head coach and being a coordinator? Punch it. I mean, it was good. It's uh, harder to see run game movements. So I'd say that was the most frustrating part for me is the, the, the game starts up front. And uh, when you're in the box, you can really see fits and run game movements and the big picture of how teams are taking away the run. When you're on the field, you can't see that big picture as well. Uh, Or it's just newer for me to say. I'm not going to say I can't ever uh, adapt and change from that picture, but it is newer and different. Newer, different, a different look, a different vantage point. They got a win over Southern Utah. It was a lot dicier than I thought it would be. 24-21 was the final. I thought Arizona State would play a little better, but it kind of led me to believe that either Southern Utah is pretty good or Arizona State is more like uh, you know one of the subdivision football teams. Now, so, there, was, there was the two-and-a-half-hour delay or so. Do you think that had anything to play into it as well? I don't know. I just think like I, I would expect a Power 5 conference team to just boat race Southern Utah, and it didn't happen. And so I don't think it bodes well for Arizona State in the Pac-12 season. Did Ray Anderson, the athletic director, watch them practice and go, eh, let's take the bull ban? I don't know. Speaking of big plays, Bryson Barnes. Utah started him at quarterback after Cam Rising, knee injury, was ruled out last night right here in Salt Lake City where I'm doing this radio show from. Everybody thought Bryson Barnes on snap one, play one of the season would take the ball and hand it off to one of his great running backs. Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator at Utah, used that to his advantage. It was a play-action pass. Play-action on first down to Barnes, looking downfield, takes a shot, watches for money Seventy yards, nice ball. It turned out that Utah didn't have that much offense all night. They only scored twenty-four points, but to get seven right away, I said it was kind of like watching two boxers in the middle of the ring touch gloves, and then one of them throws an uppercut. Boom, knocked him down. Tom Luganville talks about Colorado football. They'll play a Saturday game nine o'clock on Fox against TCU. Punch it. I think we're gonna we're gonna finally see for all the hoopla and all of the hype uh, going into the off season with Deion Sanders in Colorado. It does not mask the fact that they don't have any players on that roster. And 
You think you thought UMass was the worst roster in college football? It may be Colorado's. Now I say that. Do they have a quarterback? Yes. Do they have two starting corners that could be NFL guys, and one of them plays both ways? Yes. They are so devoid of talent up front on both sides of the ball. I don't know how they're going to keep their quarterback upright. There it is. I, I wouldn't go that far because I think they're going to make it their primary focus to keep Shador Sanders upright. But I think it's going to be a problem. And I think Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, was signaling it all week long when he was talking about protecting number two. And he was upset over the the transfer that did the NCAA ruled ineligible as an offensive lineman. I, I just think they're thin on the offensive line. And I think it's going to get ugly for them a few times. Let's move on. Scott Barnes is the athletic director at Oregon State. Some fans at Oregon State are upset. The Beavers have been left behind. What are they doing? Here's Scott Barnes. Punch it. Yeah, you know, this, uh, when when you're working behind closed doors for the right reasons, uh, negotiations and, and confidentiality and the complexities that have been discussed, it's hard to um, uh, connect with all the information to Beaver Nation. So um, whether uh, it's Beaver Nation, our student-athletes, our coaches, we all want clarity on this situation. And so... Hang in there. We're working 24-7. And let me add that this is not an athletic-specific issue. This is a university-wide issue. And university-wide leaders are assisting um, every single day. So know that uh, we're rolling our sleeves up to get to uh, the best outcome we can. Look, I I, I think it's a bad spot for Scott Barnes, the athletic director at Oregon State, and Jayati Murthy, the president at Oregon State. They're in a tough spot because – None of this is really their fault. None of this is the fault of Washington State or Oregon State. It's no more their fault than it is the fault of fans. Like, you know, this is just the predicament that they're in, and now it's their job to find a, a clean and an easy way out of it. I'll tell you something else I've been thinking about. Pat Chun is the athletic director at Washington State, and Scott Barnes is the athletic director at Oregon State. Both of those guys, I expect, could be candidates for athletic director jobs that are in the Big Ten Conference. Pat Chun previously worked at Ohio State. I think that they, I think he's a, he, I think he's a solid bet to get a look there. And I think Scott Barnes previously worked at, worked at Washington. I wouldn't be surprised if the Huskies look to Barnes to replace Jen Cohen. I think it's a really dicey time and i think it's really there's some backstory going on is you know the people who are charged with fixing it maybe you know they're there for now like don't don't get mad at me don't at me like they're professionals they're there for now but i i also think they they may be targets because they're pretty good at what they do so i think if you are a washington state or oregon state fan you're circling october one on your calendar like kirk schultz the president at washington state asked you to do and then hold him to it. Andy Reid talking about Patrick Mahomes. What makes Mahomes good? Punch it. Like the great quarterbacks, he he can he understands space and he can process. He, he knows where people are going to be. And so whether it's through film study or, or the amount of reps that he's had, he kind of senses where people are. And a lot of guys can't do that. They can't they can't project space and and see and feel, you know, they're a kind of a one, two, three person. That's not how 
how he looks at it. And I, I, I had a dad that was an artist, and I always say that he kind of saw things outside the box. You know, we all looked at things and we said, oh, yeah, it's blue. And he'd go, well, no, it's green and yellow mixed, and bop, 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 you know, and that type of thing. So that's kind of how the great quarterbacks see things. They just see things that some of us can't see. The game slows down. Patrick Mahomes is also having fun. He's also a really good athlete. So some of this is just, you know, I think it's natural to him. But the game slows down for a player like Patrick Mahomes. And in yeah, I'm not gonna say it's easy. I'm just I just think he's operating at a level right now, last year, presumably this year, that is special. It also helps that Andy Reid is his coach, one of the yeah. best offensive minds, you know, in this era that Patrick Mahomes gets to work with him every single day and you know Reed so humble he doesn't want to give himself any credit. Did you see, like, in the quarterback series that Andy Reid has one day every week where he has a practice session and he lets the players kind of work in the sandbox, so to speak, and draw up plays? Yeah, and I think that goes to kind of what he was saying right there. Like, he treats Mahomes like an artist, right? Like, hey, Patrick, go draw up a play that you think is going to work. Then we'll see if it works, you know, and, and it's, it's the trust. A lot, of, a lot about coaching, John, and you know this, it's all about trust, and you can tell that Andy Reid trusts Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes trusts Andy Reid. I mean, that's a match made in heaven right there. There was one scene in that quarterback series where they're in an overtime in a key situation where they need to make a play, and Andy Reid doesn't call the play. He says to Patrick Mahomes, what do you think about, and then he gives him the play call. And Mahomes says, I like that. I wasn't thinking about that. That's good. That's a good idea. And Anna, I remember Anna turned to me because we were watching it. She's on the sofa and she says, that's a really good leader. Because you know Andy Reid wanted to call that play, but he was basically just saying to Patrick Mahomes, like, let me be collaborative with you. Let me make you feel involved in this. Let me give you ownership of it. I think it's really interesting. Well, and everyone at that level has somewhat of an ego, right? And so for, for Andy Reid to be like, hey, you're making the choice here. Do your thing, Patrick. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. They will play Sunday, 12.30 kickoff in San Jose against the San Jose State Spartans. I asked Jonathan Smith about uh, DJ Uyunglele. Other reporters also asked him the same thing. How did he arrive as DJ as his quarterback? Punch it. We did. We put the ball down and let these guys operate and go play, and he moved moved the offense and scored points. He was good with his decisions um, in those, and that kind of separated uh, just looking at the body of work of fall camp, there's no question he has experience in big stages and big stadiums, and, and uh, that that's helped him. Uh, I think his approach with his teammates has been been awesome, and there's a real belief that you know him pulling the trigger for us, we can do some some cool things. Do some cool things, but it's not all on DJ. That's a really important distinction because you've got a lot of weapons. An offensive line. You got Anthony Gold. You got some running backs that you have a solid running back room, including Damian Martinez. Really, really, uh, really, really good situation for we, DJ. We saw play one, Bryson Barnes throw that play action pass. How many plays does it take before DJ throws a deep play action pass? Because that's what they didn't have last mm-hmm. season, John. That's what he's known for. I wouldn't be surprised. I, you know, Jonathan Smith, one, th- one thing I will say about him, he's not conservative. He'll go for it on fourth down. He'll tell his players, I believe in you, sometimes to a fault. Because, you know, people will go, why, why did you go there? Or why did you go for two there? And he'll take some criticism for it. But 
Um, I like it because I think it tells players, hey, uh, I believe in you. You just don't want to be, I guess, reckless with it. That's Punch It Audio. Great sound there. Uh, coming up, I will tell you uh, about the one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing this weekend, sports-wise and otherwise. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, let's take some phone calls, and I'll tell you uh, what I'm looking forward to when it comes to sports and not sports uh, over the weekend. John is in Vancouver. He's been holding. John, welcome to the program. What's up, man? Hey, I have a uh, clarification question. So the uh, Oregon State and Washington State have access to potentially $50, 60000000 million, and you said that um, they would have a twenty-five million dollars shortfall. Yes. So essentially, if they were to receive all of those funds, that covers them for one year to one maintain year. their current. Yeah, and that, that, and that, go go ahead. Well, what happens after that? Then it's trouble. So we had Kirk Schultz. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk Schultz, the Washington State president was on the show earlier in the week and he made this comment that was really interesting and I went back and I listened to it today. He said you know, no matter where we end up, it's not going to be the 30 to 35 million a year distribution that we were getting from the Pac-12. He said it might be 7 million, it might be 10 million. So based on that comment, I'm saying Oregon and Oregon State know they have a shortfall. If they want to operate at the same budget level, they have a shortfall of 23 to $25 million a year that they have to make up. So Kurt Schultz also said that the presidents don't have a bag of magic money under their desk that they could reach into. He said it has to come from somewhere. And then he brought up two potential revenue streams. He said student fees could be raised. He also said the university's general fund could just decide this is a worthwhile investment. We're going to give you, you know, whatever you need. We'll subsidize you. There's a big push in the last 20 years for the athletic departments to be self-sufficient. But this could be viewed as an emergency situation. Oregon State, Washington State want to keep their brand, want to keep, you know, the exposure that they're getting. And they just go, look, we know in the next two years we need to give some money from the general fund. So that may be where the money comes from. But it also kind of – doesn't it underscore the idea of why they are going, yeah, we want to be the Pac-2 first? Because they're basically saying, hey, if there's 50 or $60 million in NCAA tournament revenue buried in this thing, we want it all. And they're also looking at the emergency fund, which had $40 million in it you know, before the pandemic. I don't think it has that in it now. They're looking at the emergency fund, and they're going, hmm, be nice to have that money too. What's in there? And they're also probably looking at the Pac-12 networks, and they're going, there's some infrastructure there. Let's just say the Mountain West came over and said, all right, we're going to join you instead of you joining us. Reverse merger. We'll keep the Pac-12 brand, and uh, we want a network. We want our own network. Let's keep the Pac-12 network. 
So there may be some additional revenue in there that we're not thinking about. And I think that's why they're saying October 1st. And I think they're managing our expectations. And I think they're also kind of going above and beyond going, you know what? We're going to see what's here before we give up on this. And so it kind of explains why, like there's some callers earlier in the show and I get it because I'm the same way. I'm like, get busy living or get busy dying, move along. But there are some valid reasons for Oregon State and Washington State to go, we need to know what's here. Because if they walk away from the Pac-12, let's just say they walk away, as Stanford and Cal did today. Stanford and Cal ran to the ACC and said, okay, we don't, we don't need that NCAA tournament money. It's now only going to be split two ways instead of four, potentially. If Oregon State and Washington State decide to walk away, the NCAA tournament revenue doesn't stay with the conference anymore because there is no conference. Pac-12 really is gone. And then it goes to the individual schools who actually earned it. Now, Oregon State did earn some of that money. Remember the Elite Eight run that Wayne Tinkle went on? UCLA earned a pile of it because they were playing deep in the tournament a couple times. Arizona earned some money. Oregon earned some money. I think beyond that, USC might have got a little. But those are the members that are probably going, everybody should go because Oregon would get paid. USC would get paid. UCLA would certainly get paid. Uh, but I think there's a little bit of wait and see. So, yes, there's money there, probably thinking how much can we get, what's there. Then they're going to go, all right, reverse merger, we'll just call it the Pac-12, whatnot. Uh, appreciate the phone call. All right, something that you're looking forward to this weekend, Stephen, I want you to be thinking about it, sports-wise and otherwise. I, this weekend, sports-wise, I'm looking forward to seeing DJ Uyunglele throw a pass. And Bo Nix throw a pass. Can I just say that? Can I see the two quarterbacks? Can they go break a sweat? Can the ball be in the air? It would just be nice, I think, to see that happen and uh, enjoy that. And I think, you know, as much as it was fun for me, I looked around. I, I had a bunch of friends who were like, what was it like to be at Rice-Eccles Stadium last night for that game? The atmosphere was amazing. It was, it was a fantastic atmosphere. And it was like 90 degrees before the game. I got dropped off by uh, an Uber, like a block from the stadium. The, the kids at Utah were just all out. You know, they were walking around. The music's blaring, and it's um, the band was playing in the parking lot, and the skies were blue. There was just a lot of atmosphere, and it was nice. But I want to see that atmosphere in Eugene with Bo Nix fueling the offense on the field, and I want to see it in San Jose with DJ Uyunglele. Give me your sports I'm looking forward to, Stephen. Oh, it's it's got to be Coach Prime in Colorado, 9 a.m. at TCU. I mean, just what what are we going to see? Because, you know, there's so many opinions of what it's going to be. I know you're not very high on them. I'm higher than you are. But then there's other people out there that are saying they're going to straight up win this game. It's just, no one knows exactly what's going to work. You know, 80 new guys on this team, just a brand new experiment that we're going to see with the new rules and the transfer portal and NIL it's brand new. I love to see this type of thing, see if this experiment is going to work. And Coach Prime, man, you know where to find him, as he would say. You know where to find me. And it's uh, it's going to be fun to actually see him on the field and see what they can do, uh, see if those all those transfers to Dwarf Sanders can play on, the, on this level. I'm excited, man. I can't wait to watch that game. I don't want to sound like a hater because I do – like I really like a lot of what Coach Prime is selling, and especially for a program that had nothing to feel good about last year. Colorado deserves to have some, you know – to have a little bit of joy in its life, and I, it's not my job to rain on it. But 
I'm skeptical that they're going to have the success right away that everybody's talking about. So we'll see. I'll, I'll look forward to that one too. From a non-sports standpoint, off the field, I, I get a chance to go back to the Bay Area. My parents, uh, I probably should let them know I'm going to be in town, but I'm looking forward to seeing my parents. I think they're going to go to the San Jose State-Oregon State game. That's the last I heard. Be nice to see my family. I grew up going to games at Spartan Stadium and see, watching San Jose State play against, uh, you know, Randall Cunningham and UNLV and Damon Allen. Uh, Marcus Allen's brother was at Pacific, and there was a lot of great players. Uh, and I have fond memories of that stadium. I'm sure it won't be the same as an adult going back there. But I'm looking forward to just seeing some family. What are you looking forward to non-sports-wise? Yeah, uh, well, I mean... I guess it's it's more it's work for me because uh, I'm actually working and we'll be at A and A doing a show on Saturday, so I'm excited to uh, host and do that. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, and then I'm also excited to. So we went to a uh, Portland Timbers game the other day, which is I guess this is all sports. But this is my family though. Uh, this is a little, you know, John, sports is life. I just I can't get it out of my mind. But uh, you know, just I I really want to play soccer with my oldest. I haven't had a chance. We went to a Timbers game on Wednesday. Um, he learned a lot, and I feel like I want to you know teach him some more things and actually get down some skills. So I want to like go out there and uh, actually kick the ball around with him, like on a field with a goal, and uh, you know just play with the kids. That's what I'm excited for. That's great. I love that. Good memories. Do you guys like when you go and play? Do you play competitively, or is it more kind of fun, or what do you do? Well, he wants to. He wants everything to be a competition, one on one. And I'm like, hey, dude, like you can't. Not everything is one on one game. You gotta do some skill work. So it's mostly competitive, like one on one stuff, because that's what he loves to do. He's just he's such a competitor. But I do want to like. He's getting to that age where he does need to start like honing down to some skills. So hopefully, hopefully, it's a little more of a teaching lesson. Well, I think that's great. And for listeners, like, I love that. Think about that, too, because I think one of the things I used to not do is I used to not think about what do I want to get out of this weekend. We spend so much time during the week working and focused on what other people need us to get done. You know what I mean? What you're supposed to get done, your to-do list or your duties at your job. We spend a lot of time within the structure of Monday through Friday talking about, all right, these are the things we have to do. And I always, um, I, I'd always told Anna, and I, and I love this, like, I... Sometimes I need to do nothing on the weekend, need to do nothing. But that often caused me to not think about, like consciously think about being intentional about wanting to get something out of the weekend. And so I have now gone into weekends going, hey, we're not going to do anything, but I do want to spend a little bit of time with a nine-year-old and read a book. Or I want to go on a walk with Anna. Or I want to, you know, I, I'll pick out something. Or the seven-year-old who's just a fantastic kid. Uh, you know, what, spend a little time with her doing something. Make her feel special. Uh, be intentional is all I'm saying. All right, grab a podcast of this radio show wherever you get a podcast, and I'll catch you next week.